Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am uh, recovering from a WrestleMania hangover. Yeah, man. How did it feel after all this time to be back in the saddle and all the craziness of WrestleMania weekend? Exhausting is probably the best word that I can use to describe it, so... But it's all good, man. It's all good. It was a hell of a hell of a week. <laughs> uh, hell of a last 10, 12 days, whatever the hell it's been. Well, we, a lot of fun. We had a hell of a good time last week uh, at both our show with uh, JBL at Gramercy. And, uh, of course, Dan Soder and Shuli joined us, which was always a good time. And then uh, something rather unique with good old JR, maybe for the last time, uh, Monday, right after Raw. Pretty good trip to New York. Uh, what did you think of the show last week with Michael Hayes being the subject? Well, I enjoy talking about Michael Hayes because Michael Hayes has been a longtime friend of over, good God, almost 40 years. That's scary to even think about. And I love telling Michael Hayes stories. Dave, Dave, Dave. And I think that they got, everybody got their entire Duke, Duke, Duke feel last week with our Michael Hayes episode. And it was fun to uh, record in a real studio. That was nice, too. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Tim Sabian and all the fine folks over at Westwood One that hooked us up. Special thanks to Robert Mathers and everybody who made it possible. And uh, today, we're coming to you a little differently. I'm out here getting ready for uh, StarCast, so I'm actually at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. So if you're wondering, hey, why does Conrad sound a little different this week? Well, there you go. Uh, We'll be back to our regularly scheduled studios next week. Uh, But what we're talking about this week is Stone Cold Steve Austin. A while back, we teased we were going to do 97, 98, and 99. And we only got a chance to do 97, so we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, And this is going to be fun because it's a banner year for Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course, in 1998. And I guess before we get started, we should tell everybody about how they can have a banner year because the secret is out, guys. If you want healthy sex, well, your body needs nitric oxide. And now you can boost your nitric oxide production faster than you thought possible with Ageless Male Max, the absurdly fast formula from the number one brand in male enhancement. You'll get clinically tested ingredients that rapidly boost nitric oxide production, and it won't go unnoticed. Uh, Chat me up here, Bruce. Uh, How much are you enjoying your Ageless Male Max lately? I feel absolutely ageless. And, you know, hey, man, it's great. You get your clinically tested ingredients. They, they boost your nitric oxide production. And you feel better, quite frankly. And Ageless Male Max has already taken Walmart by storm. But you can get started by having a 30-day supply delivered to your door. Okay? Are you ready for this, Conrad? I'm ready. Free. What? No questionnaires. No online tests. Fast and discreet shipping. All you have to do is text the word RAM to 797979. 
Now, you get the rapid boost in nitric oxide production that you and your partner crave. Hey, make her happy, all right? You know what I'm talking about. And try your first 30-day bottle absolutely free. Just pay shipping and handling when you text the word RAM, R-A-M, to 797979. Now, if the results are a little too intense, uh, please decrease the use. That's R-A-M to 797979. And this free offer is contingent on subscription. Cancel anytime. Message and data rights may apply. That's R-A-M to 797979. Try it out. You're going to like it. I like that you clapped at the end. I mean, it's almost like uh, you're clapping because you got your dick real, real hard. Either way, we hope you uh, enjoy that promo code. It's still the funniest in the business. Ram, 79979. All right, let's get going. The Royal Rumble, 1998, goes down January 18th, right there in San Jose, California. Austin, of course, is in this Rumble match. He comes in at number 24. He eliminates 8-Ball, Mark Mero, Thrasher, Kama, Savio Vega, Chains, and finally The Rock to win the Royal Rumble. And the next night on Raw, we see a huge angle that really cements Steve as the top guy, uh, perhaps not just in the WWF, but maybe in the business of course, we're talking about the Mike Tyson incident. Mike Tyson was in attendance at the Royal Rumble. He uh, took it in uh, a box with uh, Shane McMahon. And then they promoted that he would have an announcement about his role at WrestleMania 14 at Raw. So later in the show on Monday Night Raw, Vince brings out Tyson to the ring. And what he's about to na- announce, whatever Mike Tyson's role is going to be at WrestleMania, and this is near the end of the show, Austin comes out, his music hits, and it is a huge reaction by the crowd here. And Austin says he's sick of Tyson shaking everybody's hands, and he refused to shake Tyson's hand. Uh, And um, Austin said, when you step in this ring, you're messing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's something you don't do. I want a piece of Mike Tyson's ass. He says that he could beat Tyson every night of the week and twice on Sunday, which was always a favorite Austinism of mine. And then he has the famous photo op where he says, if Tyson didn't understand him, he's got a little sign language for him and then gives him the double, the double bird. Of course, Tyson's pissed about this, shoves Austin, and a brawl breaks out. Tyson's quickly held back. Austin's dragged out of the ring. And um, McMahon really goes into overdrive here, just frothing with anger you know, about how you ruined everything and taking swipes at Austin. Really, really good stuff. And after a commercial break, they go backstage where Tyson was pointing his finger in McMahon's chest, yelling at him to uh, bring that bad word ass Austin out. And uh, McMahon stammered, and Sergeant Slaughter and Dave Hebner are just here to sort of take it all in. Now, in hindsight, we as wrestling fans probably remember, oh, this was a big moment. But then we just sort of go on to the next week because we're just conditioned to watch wrestling. But the mainstream took a ten, paid attention to this and, and, and really, really focused on this in a way they haven't done for the WWF in a long, long time. Take us back to that night, the famous shove, uh, you know, the double bird, the whole segment. Um, I mean, this is WWF magic right here, is it not? Definitely. And this was all the setup, you know, Mike Tyson, refereeing, the championship match at WrestleMania in Boston. And frankly, you know, we, we knew that Mike Tyson 
being in a WWE ring was going to be huge. And that was going to be one of those moments that everybody is going to gravitate to. Is Mike Tyson going to wrestle? What's he going to do? Oh, my God. You know they're going to do something. We had a very limited number of dates on Mike Tyson when we first went into this. And the idea was let's let's play it out. Let's see what kind of reaction that we get. And we'll take it from there. When Tyson went out, I think that we maybe had maybe two more dates on him uh, before WrestleMania, maybe three. But it was those were promotional opportunities. He was going to appear on the show a couple times, and then one of those was a press conference and, and all this other stuff. So uh, Shane McMahon had been with Mike the entire time, and he had kind of been the liaison to Mike Tyson, if you will. When we got there, this was, man, we had lightning in a bottle. Steve Austin was the hottest thing in the business. We just didn't realize that he was getting ready to become the the hottest thing just in general. Everybody was going to be talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. So when this happened, I'll never forget a couple things, man. When if you watch closely, you'll see money flying all over the ring when they get into the shoving match and everybody's holding Steve back and everybody's holding Tyson back because Tyson had roughly $20,000 cash in his breast pockets of his suit. And it all went flying when everybody's pulling him back and everything. And all the guys, you see some of the guys down on the mat, they're scrambling, picking up $100 bills and everything all over the place. So when Mike gets back, it was a very surreal moment. Because Jim Ross and I walked into the locker room where Mike was. And Mike was, how do I say this? Uh, cutting a damn promo on his people. <laughs> uh, just chewing their asses out like you wouldn't believe. For what, I'm not really sure. But he was like, make sure all my money's here, man. And, and blah, blah, blah. And when we walked in, Mike completely, the switch turned. And he started apologizing. I'm sorry you guys had to see that. Uh, I'm normally not like that, but these guys know better. And we're like, hey, we're taking care of business. It's all good. Everybody was on such a high after that took place. I remember Vince coming back. We're on the, we were on the West Coast there. And looking at it going, guys, I think we need more dates. And Vince and I went into a room off of his office and just started mapping out Tyson dates and where we could do, because originally, man, this was going to be it for a while. That was his one date, and then we'll get to the announcement, and then we'll uh, do something else, have him on TV. But all of that other stuff, and, and Vince Russo was involved in as far as the creative with a lot of that stuff, the, the DX stuff with Mike Tyson. But none of that was planned way far in advance. That was just something of the feel of having lightning on a bottle that night. And then that moment of Mike Tyson delivering and feeling the energy off that crowd that it was, this is a lot bigger than we ever thought it would be. We, we knew we had Tyson. We knew that we were going to do something. But off of that energy and that just the, the meshing of Tyson and Stone Cold, we knew we had something special. Well, you knew you had something special when you turned on any, 
you know, radio station the next morning, any television news station, even your cable news, Fox Sports, Sports Center, uh, all your newspapers, the AP, USA Today, uh, even all the magazines and, and the press in Japan that, that Mike Tyson would bring. Uh, I mean, it's phenomenal. And people are even suggesting uh, that perhaps um, Mike Tyson is not going to be a referee. And he is going to actually participate in a match with Steve Austin, which is pretty crazy. And you've, you've sort of shot that down uh, on the network show. Okay, so let's skip forward to the WrestleMania 14 press conference. It goes down on February 5th at the All-Star Cafe in New York City. And uh, these WrestleMania press conferences were always kind of fun. Austin and Michaels wind up having a face-to-face confrontation. Tyson gets in the middle of them. Uh, and the hype here... It's crazy. There is more attention on this than ever before. Uh, and I guess we should mention the No Way Out pay-per-view, which we've done, and it's available in the archives. You can check it out whenever you'd like. It's over at uh, somethingtowrestle.com. That goes down on February 15th, and it happens in Houston, Texas. Uh, Steve Austin is in this match uh, on one side, and on the other, Shawn Michaels was supposed to be there, but he can't be. Um, he's injured. So what we get is Austin, Chainsaw Charlie, Cactus Jack, Owen Hart, uh, and then they're going to beat uh, Hunter, Billy Gunn, Jesse James, and Savio Vega. Uh, and they go 17 minutes and 41 seconds. The crowd was not happy with the Savio Vega uh, announcement. I think that people were thinking it would be someone else, but of course it wound up being Savio. Three and a half stars. I know we've covered this in long form, but very briefly, what stands out to you the most about that match at No Way Out 98? I'll tell you the one thing that stands out most about that match was the fact that Savio brought barbed wire down to the ring and Vince went crazy because no one had run it by him. And that was, you know, it was one of those crazy matches anyway. But he's like, what the hell is that? And well, it's barbed wire. Somebody had asked him in a vacuum at some point, is this okay? You know, can Savio bring a weapon? That's what they brought. And there was no, it just was no getting it back once it was out there, as as I've had with my words (laughs) sometimes this week, where, oh, shit, it's already there and you can't take it back. Um, That is one thing that stood out more than anything. They, They shit all over Savio in that replacement. They they wanted something bigger and better than Shawn Michaels, and unfortunately, in this instance, we weren't able to deliver that. So, talk to me a little bit about the feedback you may have gotten for Stone Cold Steve Austin stunning China. Um, what's the situation there? You know, like uh, of course these days, intergender wrestling kind of a hot topic. You hadn't done a ton of it yet here, uh, but obviously China had a lot of heat. Austin's white hot. Did anybody say, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea? Not at the time. And, and I think that China was kind of viewed through a different lens. They, they looked at China, and China liked to compete with the men. And I think it was almost accepted. Plus, you go back, you know, there was a day in time. You look at Sherry Martell, and good God, she used to take uh, backdrops and atomic drops and everything under the sun from the guys, uh, very active. So this was another kind of situation where it was one off. It was Steve stunning China and they felt that that was an exclamation point to the match. Uh, something you wouldn't do today. 
but it's it was a different time and a di- you know different character in China. So let's get to the uh, March 9th Raw. Uh, Vince is going to interview Austin in the ring, and Austin's going to say, you know, that Vince is following Tyson around like a puppy dog. McMahon says something like, you know, calling Tyson the baddest man on the planet is just a figure of speech. Austin says, so is this, gives him the middle finger. Uh, And then he does the whole, hey, if you want me to be WWF champion, give me a hell yeah. And the crowd explodes. Eventually, we see a little bit of physicality here where he rips McMahon's suit jacket and McMahon leaves the ring swearing that Austin will pay. And uh, the March 9th Raw also sees McMahon walk out to a chorus of booze and he's interviewed by Kevin Kelly. And he's talking about what Austin's conduct was last week on the show, calling it unprofessional. Um, and he considers it somewhat justified by Mike Tyson joining DX. And Vince seems to get sort of tired here of Kevin Kelly going back to last week's footage, uh, saying he didn't hit Steve last week because he wanted to save the WrestleMania main event, and he would have broken Austin's jaw. So we start to really see more of this Mr. McMahon character uh, come out here. And, of course, he's saying, you know, it's not a no as to whether or not he wants Austin to be the champ, but hell no. So this is before WrestleMania, you know, but we're still in March, the month where you know the win is going to happen. How far in advance did you guys realize, hey, McMahon-Austin is the money? And at that point, did you think that there would ever be a, an in-ring payoff or would it always just be sort of the, you know, the, the heel general manager type situation? No, we didn't even really think that at this point. This was more of putting Vince in a promoter role and letting Vince in many ways be himself. So he was put out there as a former commentator. Uh, He had the heat already from the whole Bret Hart Montreal situation. And now he was being used to promote, man, he's promoting WrestleMania. And he did it with that heel slant that he naturally does. It wasn't, again, still, man, we didn't get to the whole McMahon-Austin thing for a while to, to realize, damn, could we? Getting to a match at this point wasn't even in anyone's thinking in any way, shape, or form. Getting Vince to be a promoter, a hypester, and pitch man, okay, yeah, he can be a heel and do it with a heel slant. Be yourself, Vince. Go on out and have fun. But... To think, okay, we're planting the seeds for Austin McMahon. Absolutely not even close at this point. Talk to me a little bit about uh, this interview with Vince McMahon. I mean, Vince really hits a home run here. Uh, How quickly does everybody else realize, uh, hey, Vince is our best heel? Oh, boy. Um, Not just our best heel from a WWF perspective. I mean... He's going to become the biggest and best heel in the business here for a little while, is he not? I mean, he's certainly got, you know, the most eyeballs. I mean, very, very soon, this angle is going to be what takes the company from second place to winning the race. And it's the McMahon character that helps make that happen. Obviously, you know, it takes two to tango. uh, But much like it took, you know, a Roddy Piper to Hulk Hogan, well, Steve Austin needed a Mr. McMahon here. Yes, he did. We just didn't really realize it at that time. And 
for, there were a lot of us, me included, that felt Vince was a natural heel <laughs> and would be very well suited to be an on-air character as a heel. He's, he's a natural at it. And as time went on is where you just couldn't get away from it. You couldn't deny it. Vince had the heat from Montreal. Everyone blamed him. He came out from behind the curtain. You know, now the almighty Oz is in front of the curtain and pulling the strings. So it was it was just a unique time. As we got closer, you also have to understand, too, you had Sean, and Sean had a tremendous amount of heat. So Vince didn't want to step on Sean's heat, and Vince was just trying to do what – be that carnival barker, be that promoter, be that promoter that is going to do whatever it takes to get that attraction in the ring, come hell or high water. And also feeling that, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he's a loose cannon. This son of a bitch cannot be controlled. And I can't have him being at the forefront of our business. So you, you have all of these things going on, never really thinking, okay, by God, we're going to go into the summer with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mr. McMahon. I always say to talent, if you if you perform in a way and you get over that they can't deny you, then nobody can stop you. And un I don't say unfortunately, I say fortunately, that's what happened with Vince. You couldn't deny that he was <laughs> one of the best performers out there, and he was the hottest heel that we had. So let's keep it going here. March 17th on Raw. It's the go-home show for WrestleMania. Austin is going to pin The Rock here, clean with a stunner. It's pretty ironic that this happens one week before WrestleMania 14. Fast forward a year to WrestleMania 15, and that's the main event. Uh, let's talk about the main event of WrestleMania 14. We've covered this very briefly before uh, on our WWE Network show. Steve Austin is going to get the win here over Shawn Michaels. It's just over 20 minutes. He wins the world title here, and this is Shawn Michaels' swan song for a little bit, and there's a whole backstory about getting this match in the ring uh, from Shawn Michaels' side that we'll talk about another time. I know that they had been you know, trying to work this match um, as much as they could on the house shows, but it just wasn't possible because Shawn was so injured. So essentially what the match they, they wind up working is the same match that Austin had had with Hunter Hearst Helmsley on the house show loops. It wasn't a bad match, but it wasn't what it probably could have been had Sean been at a hundred percent. It still managed to get three and a quarter stars and they got the big reveal of, um, Mike Tyson not being the super villain that maybe people thought he was going to be. And he joins cold stone, uh, here at the end and, and knocks out Sean Michaels. When you think about, you know, this match and certainly the, the post-match with Mike Tyson and then the visual of Austin climbing the turnbuckles with that winged eagle championship that, you know, everybody from Bret Hart to Hulk Hogan and everyone in between had held. And we know we're going to debut a new belt the next night. But what a night that was in the Fleet Center and what a visual it was. And it did feel different. It did feel like a passing of the guard and the beginning of a new era. And JR had a great call there where he says, you know, this is the Austin era. And I don't think anybody really knew what that meant at the time. It probably just sounded like, you know, the appropriate thing to say. But it was true. I mean, you're about to be hotter than you've ever been. 
And a lot of people would circle back to that match at WrestleMania 14 as the kicking off point, would they not? Yes. And that, it really was. And you go back to, again, I go back to that night with the shove with Steve Austin and thinking, holy shit. When we changed everything with Mike, all these eyeballs were on us. And, And Eric Bischoff even talks about how he knew when it was over was when we got Mike Tyson. And that made all the difference in the world. And that got so many brand new eyeballs on us and people going, what's happening over here? And then you've got Austin, who <laughs> is Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was on fire. I had never, at least in, in my time in the wrestling business, I'd never seen anyone that, that over is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you go back and you think of the, the time in, in the 80s with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was electric, man. That that was all goosebump moments for me, getting to perform with him and seeing that. That was, that was great. And I don't think anybody will replicate that. Same thing. I don't think anyone will ever replicate the rise in the feel of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Austin 316 and how he just revolutionized so many things in the business and changed the way that people looked at the wrestling business and WWE in particular. Man, it was something else. And, um, you know, Steve Austin had obviously had quite the journey to get there. You know, he, he had a little stint in world class and he had a run in WCW. And a lot of people thought he was probably one of the best wrestlers in the world when he was there, but plagued with injuries Gets fired by FedEx, uh, manages to pop up in ECW for a little bit, even though he can't work a lot of matches. And then before you know it, he, he debuts in the WWE with uh, maybe a, a, a less than awesome gimmick, uh, finds his voice in the summer of 96, and fast forward less than two years here, and this Stone Cold character has brought him the greatest prize in all of wrestling, the main event at WrestleMania, and a world title win in that main event. Quite a journey to get here and, and, and a damn near broken neck, you know, just a handful of months prior to it that maybe risked at all. And I know that Austin has a hard shell, uh, but the people who know him say that when you get to know him, uh, that, that that's a different Steve. Chat me up. Did you ever have a conversation with him about what it meant for him to be in the main event of WrestleMania and to win the world title? It's got to feel like validation for something he had felt a long time, that he was misused and misunderstood and underutilized and maybe underappreciated. And now that's not the case. He's the top dog. I, I, you could sum up, in my opinion, the way Steve felt by saying proud. There was a lot of pride there. Steve worked so hard to get where he was. And he had a few false starts in there, unfortunately, you know, with the next stuff, but he never gave up and he kept going and, and, it seemed like every setback he would come back stronger than he was before. I go back, and, and I know we've told the story, but I go back to the time when I was coming in, was going to go to work for WCW, and I said to Dusty, give me Steve Austin. I think Steve Austin could be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And Dusty, come back, baby, that's exactly where I want to go. I want to go. I think I can see him is the champion. He's got to work his way up. But even then, 1992 or 93, whatever it was, 92, um, 
people were talking about Steve Austin being a world champion. All the ups and downs that he had in WCW, the Hollywood Blondes, they, nobody, I don't think anybody took them seriously. Steve made it work. All the times Steve would come up and talk to us, and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Steve didn't like our style. Vince didn't like him. All those things that happened, it all culminates at WrestleMania when he becomes the man. He becomes, this is the guy that's going to lead us into the future. And that was a sense, I think, of Steve, of pride through everything that he had been through, through all of the doubters, all of the naysayers, that now he's standing there with the championship. And to him, that that wasn't the ending. To him, that was the beginning. Watch what we do now. And it, and it was a lot of pride with Steve, and, and I think that he felt vindicated and felt that, all right, motherfuckers, now watch this. So let's talk about it. The next night on Raw, uh, he comes out with the belt. McMahon's already in the ring with a new belt, and McMahon tries to backpedal some of his statements. You know, he wanted to clarify what he said about not wanting him to be the world champion, and you know, they're going back and forth, and then they eventually get into, you know, easy way or hard way, and Austin asks the crowd if they want it the hard if they want him to do it the hard way, and of course, oh hell yeah. And we're off to the races with the Austin McMahon feud. I, I'm curious because, you know, when you've got, you know, the, it's often been talked about like the Monday after WrestleMania, you know, WrestleMania is sort of the culmination of your storylines. Back in the day, it was a culmination of a year-long storyline. Maybe not quite a year now, but still several months, several weeks, a few days in some cases. But WrestleMania here, you know, you're, you're closing the, the door on the feud with DX for Stone Cold Steve Austin and the chase for the world title. He's achieved it. And it feels like instead of launching right into a new opponent and a new more traditional feud with another wrestler, you guys decide... On the McMahon character, how far in advance had you figured out that, hey, once once we crown him champion, then it's got to be, you know, a back and forth about is he the right type of champion for Vince? Well, no, it was one of those that we had to feed that champion. And the first person that we were getting ready to feed him was going to be Mick Foley. And using the McMahon character, Mr. McMahon character, wasn't even really defined at that point as you know, use this character to get somebody over that's actually going to work with Steve in the live events and let's do some programs, someone that Steve is comfortable with that we have confidence is going to get Steve over. And that was Mick Foley. Everything was changing after WrestleMania. It's funny. You look at there are different WrestleManias where it's a culmination and everything's kind of ended at WrestleMania. And then there's WrestleManias where it's all fresh and it's a new beginning at WrestleMania. This particular mania was a culmination of a lot of things. And the next night was a new beginning going forward. So we had to, there wasn't a ready-made opponent for Steve. You had to make one and you had to, you had to get him ready. There was already the natural, you know, Vince McMahon, the promoter, didn't want this wild card representing his company. Didn't want this wild card having his championship belt. So he was looking to anybody and anything that he could manipulate 
to do it. And every single time that McMahon walked out there, it was just one step further away from getting him out of the ring. Was Hunter ever considered for that spot? To be uh, so he in was, the next actually, spot. To be the next opponent for Steve? That's, that's the right. question. Yeah, it feels yes. like it feels like it could have been a natural progression to go from the leader of DX, who's now on the shelf, to now the de facto leader of DX. What, did you guys not go with him because at the time Vince didn't see as big of an upside for him? He didn't think he was going to be the star that he became. Well, why did why did Hunter not get the nod there with Mick Foley getting it instead? Because we didn't want the comparison to Sean. Okay. And I think that putting Hunter right in there would have been an immediate comparison to Sean. And people saying, okay, it would have been less than. So the idea at the time was to move DX in the direction that we moved DX into a babyface role and create a new DX. There was that. There was a groundswell for DX. If, if you go back and you look at some of the things that we did, if you didn't have Austin in the ring with them, the audience, they were digging their shit. They were smart asses. They, they, were, they were everything Austin was. But they were going against Austin, so the audience booed them. You take Austin out of that equation and you let them go do their shit, they're going to be baby faces. Give them a heel to work with, and they're even stronger baby faces. But yes, Hunter was discussed because it's, as you say, that would have been a natural progression. DX, Sean lost the championship. Sean's now gone away. Hunter's going to come and he's going to vindicate his friend. But Vince had confidence that Hunter could go on the babyface route and he didn't want to diminish him right there. It was like he felt it would hurt him in that role and thought he would be a stronger babyface. So let's keep it going. April 6th, Austin shows up in a suit uh, because Vince is introducing the world to the new Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, uh, of course, that doesn't last very long and uh, some shenanigans happen. And and then we get to April 13th, which we've covered last year in the archives as a watch-along. And I encourage you, if you're really interested in more on this McMahon-Austin feud, go back and watch it. Uh, This is going to be the match where Vince wrestles Steve Austin and Steve has one arm tied behind his back. Raw actually winds up beating Nitro in the ratings for the first time in 83 weeks. Um, when when you see that rating come in, is it fucking high fives all around? Yes. <laughs> it was elation, to say the very least. And I don't know that anybody... I don't, no one said, okay, this is going to do it, by God, this is going to put us over the top. It was a risky, that was a risky deal. And when it happened and people got to talking, and that was a situation where you could see that needle move from the moment that they announced, Vince is going to wrestle tonight. Oh, my God. Vince McMahon is going to get in the ring with Steve Austin. Well, shit, that was the night that in the next day, the validation that they wanted to see that and they wanted more because obviously they didn't get it. That, And for us, the whole idea behind it was let's introduce this new character. Here's Dude Love. Here's Mick Foley. And, you know, <laughs> it worked, but they wanted more Mr. McMahon. Does 
Vince Russo get the credit he deserves for that? Vince Russo? Yeah. I think so. You know, I just know that sometimes we uh, we have fun with some of his silly ideas, but allegedly this is, you know, something that Russo had a lot of influence over, too. We should probably give him some props on this one, right? I would give him props. You know, look, I think that Vince Russo from from the WrestleMania on, after WrestleMania, I think that Russo deserves a shitload of props for getting that whole Stone Cold and Mr. McMahon uh, character over. Let's keep it going here. I guess we should mention at the end of that, you know, segment on Raw, Dude Love comes down and attacks Austin. So it becomes apparent that this was all really a ploy to get Austin to tie one arm behind his back. And that would allow uh, a crony, a stooge, if you would, of Mr. McMahon, uh, the errand boy, if you will, to to go do the bidding and, and put the boots to Stone Cold. And that's Dude Love, which does feel a little bit out of left field. But let me tell you, Boy, they tore it down at Unforgiven. I don't think we've talked about this show enough, but go back when you get time and watch it. It's April 26th from Greensboro, North Carolina, 1998. And Dude Love is going to beat Steve Austin by DQ. So Austin retains the title in just about 19 minutes. Uh, Meltzer really enjoyed it, too. He said it was an incredible performance of bump-taking by Dude Love that carried this. And Austin's timing was great as well. It is an all-out brawl. I mean, they're using ring steps and guardrails and everything in between. Um, you should really go out of your way to see it. It's a four-star match, according to the Observer, and that's for a, a schmoz finish, if you will. Uh, McMahon does take a, a hard shot, and they show an unconscious McMahon uh, to end the show. And, uh, of course, the announcement was made that Austin was disqualified for hitting a WWF official. But I know, you know, this is... This has got to be a big moment for Mick Foley, too. You know, he hasn't main evented a ton of pay-per-views for the company. He got his uh, his first crack at it back in 96 in Philadelphia at an in-your-house show against uh, Shawn Michaels. And that was and delivered. And was a barn burner. And now he's doing it again here and just tearing it up. Uh, and along the way, you know, he had some matches with The Undertaker that, that were what they were. But working, you know, to a big man versus a bigger man is a little different than the type of match you would have with, with a brawl with a guy who's smaller than you, whether it's Shawn Michaels or Steve Austin. But a fucking phenomenal match. I can't recommend it enough. People sleep on it, I think, because maybe the dude love character wasn't their favorite incarnation. Uh, what did you think of this match? And uh, what was the reaction, you know, from everybody backstage? And was Foley particularly proud to be in this spot? Well, the answer to the Foley question, yes, but uh, everyone was more than pleased because all of a sudden now you have a new character without having to add another another body to the roster, so to speak. So you had this guy that could play a multitude of characters in Mankind, Dude Love. Later on, we would get Cactus Jack and then... You just go to plain old Mick Foley, who in and of himself was a great character. And that, you know, the delivery of that was fantastic. And Mick Foley let everybody know that he was there to play and that he shouldn't be denied. Put himself in that. He was he was being used to get Steve over. He got Steve over and he made new characters out of it. So hats off to Mick Foley. I thought this was some of the. Uh, incredible shit that 
this is where things really became fluid. And we knock Vince Russo. We have fun with Vince Russo. We would say he didn't know what he was doing from one week to the next. He didn't. But it was creating as you went along, and it was changing every week and going with the flow that changed the way that we did business. And every single week it was something new and it was something different. So it was it had an unpredictable feel because it was unpredictable. The next night on Raw, Austin defends the title against Goldust. Briscoe is the referee. Vince tries to hit Austin with the belt, but he misses and hits Briscoe. The shenanigans continue the next week where Vince... Which I'd like, which I'd like to point out, busted Briscoe wide open <laughs> very few times in Jerry's career that he ever got busted open. And it was because McMahon just overzealous? Clobbered him with that belt, man. <laughs> Knocked the living shit out of him. Well, Jerry never bled in it. If he did, it was a few hard ways here and there, but that was one of the very few times on one hand you can count them. The number of times Gerald Briscoe ever bled, and that was one of them. May 11th, Raw would have Vince McMahon name himself as Stone Cold Steve Austin's partner against The Rock and D'Lo, but Austin never tagged out, of course. Uh, eventually, uh, Vince clotheslined him. The following week, Austin's going to wrestle Patterson and Briscoe with Slaughter as the referee. And a fan wearing an Austin mask jumps the rail and attacks Austin. They pull the mask off and reveal it's Vince McMahon. This is some interesting booking here. What, what can you tell us about these handful of segments here? Well, again, the idea pretty much became that the conduit to everything Austin and the, the foil for Stone Cold was going to be Mr. McMahon. That was something the audience could really get into. They were believing it, and they loved it because now this was their time to say, you know what, he's the guy that runs the WWF. If we don't like what we're seeing, he's the one to blame, and Stone Cold's going to kick his ass because he's my guy. Steve Austin represents me. No matter where I am in America or Anywhere in the world, that's my guy. And fuck Vince McMahon. Steve's going to kick his ass for me. And that feeling just enveloped everything that you could put you could put anybody with Vince. Just the, the sheer fact that Briscoe and Patterson became huge names again, being stooges, quote, stooges for Vince because we needed officials to flank Vince. And use Jerry and Pat. You probably could have put anybody else out there for that one night for Steve to, to anoint them stooges and they would have gotten over. Nah, maybe not. Briscoe and Patterson were so good and had such great chemistry. But everything that Steve was touching and rubbing up against and Vince was at that point, man, it was it was turning to gold. Let's get to the over-the-edge pay-per-view. It goes down on May 31st in Milwaukee. We see a rematch here with Austin and Dude Love. Uh, Austin is going to retain the title. They go 22 and a half minutes. Uh, the special situation here is Vince is the referee. Briscoe is the timekeeper. Patterson is the ring announcer. And they do ridiculous over-the-top ring announcing here, which is kind of fun. Uh, and then tons of crazy spots in here. The crowd is super hot for all of it. Um, they're even taking backdrops on the hood of a car. 
I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. Uh, Meltzer absolutely loved it. He gave it four and a half stars. The Undertaker eventually is out here, and he goes to Chokeslam Patterson. And Meltzer would even know at 58 years old, Patterson was kicking his feet way up to get even more of an effect from the move through the American announcer's table. And then Briscoe jumped in. Same thing happened to him through the Spanish announcer's table. So really, really crazy. Uh, Austin gets out of the claw, delivers another stunner, and uh, while covering Love, grabs McMahon's hand and counts to three, and the bell rang, signifying he won. Four and a half stars. Go out of your way to watch these. I think they're the two most slept-on matches from 98. Uh, I think for whatever reason, people were excited about Steve Austin being champion, but didn't really pay much attention to the matches. But, dude, Mick Foley was working his ass off here. Improved you guys right for going with him first as the first opponent fresh off a title win. Absolutely, and he also gave us more. He, he gave more than was originally thought that he would deliver. You kind of think, okay, we'll get one off with him and then maybe two, but Mick, Mick solidified his place in history by going out and becoming, a first of all, the despisable character. And then a character that you had to love. And I think that people loved him the more that McMahon abused him. Uh, but at the same time, you hated him because he let McMahon abuse him. So it was it was a coming-of-age party for Mick Foley and one that, uh, good God, just the business was changing. This is where you sit there and you, you look at the business and go, things are changing. On the June 2nd Raw, Vince is going to receive the Humanitarian of the Year Award. Uh, hypothetically, uh, what do you think one of the boys back in the day would have had to say about Vince winning the Humanitarian of the Year Award? <laughs> Which boy? Jim Cornette, motherfucker. Who knows? He was a humanitarian. By God, just ask him. Well, just looking for some impressions here, trying to spice the show up. Let's keep it moving. Uh, this segment here shows uh, a, a representative uh, from the Minority Athletes Network show up and say that McMahon gave less money than he promised and his check bounced twice and his favorite wrestler is Steve Austin. And Austin's here uh, with a black tie, jeans, and no shirt or jacket. So that's pretty funny. He winds up picking McMahon's pockets for 1200 bucks and gives it to the charities. Uh, Undertaker's music plays and Druids bring a casket to the ring but it winds up that it's actually Kane coming out of the casket and Mankind coming from the other side of the ring they put Austin in the casket and Austin uh, is trapped in there as Kane stands on top of the casket and that of course builds towards uh, the first blood match which is a title defense against Kane, the king of the ring uh, this is a, a pretty notable show for the Mankind situation but it wasn't the main event as crazy as that sounds, the Hell in a Cell, where Mick Foley nearly fucking died, was not the main event. It was, in fact, Steve Austin and Kane for the world title. And that almost didn't happen, because Austin was battling a serious staph infection to the point that he was even hospitalized after a house show on Friday. And uh, allegedly, his fever got up to like 104. Uh, so he was just in, in crazy, crazy shape here and nearly missed the show. Uh, what can you tell us about Steve Austin's uh, staff infection and how touch and go that was as we build the King of the Ring? Well, you look back and 
it's during a time too that the business was so hot for Steve. Steve is one of those guys tape it up and go. I, I compare Steve a lot to Randy Savage. Uh huh. Let's go back and tape it up and go. And Savage did the same thing at WrestleMania Five with Hogan, where he had a bad. It was very similar. Steve wasn't willing, didn't want to take the time off, but it got to the point where Steve, if you don't take the time off, this is not something to mess around with. And he would hide it so long that eventually you look at it and go, now it's a lot worse than it would have been if you had just gotten attention as soon as symptoms started. Uh, Steve had to go in, had to get fluids, and had to get you know antibiotic drip just so we could get him through that. And got released, came in, and, and did his business that night. And that was a shocker because for a lot of us, you left the title on the guy. You, you you had the champion. He carried the championship for a long time. And if Steve was going to be the man, then you leave the title on him. And here to do the one-night switch over to Kane was, I don't know that it was the most popular choice in the world amongst people. It worked. But there were a lot of people that didn't like it. I guess we should tell you the story in the match here is even though Undertaker damn near killed Mankind, they're back out here and they're going to do dueling chairs. But eventually, Mankind ducks a chair shot. That causes the Undertaker to hit Steve Austin. Austin does a hell of a blade job. He's busted open, bleeding a river. And when Earl Hebner wakes up from one of his many bumps that night, uh, he sees it, calls for the bell. And Kane is your new WWF champion. Um, the match only got three and a quarter stars. I guess it told an okay story, but compared to the two Mick Foley matches, even with all the gimmicks of, you know, the cage coming down and it being a blood match, it just wasn't as good. And of all, even as a kid, I was like, well, how the fuck are we going to know if Kane's bleeding? He's got a mask on and it's a red that was mask. The idea. No, I get it. But I just, even then it was like, well, okay, Steve Austin's definitely winning and it didn't happen. Instead, you guys go the other way. Kane uh, winds up winning, uh, and he's the world champion as we get to the next night. Um, I, I guess, you know, we should mention uh, Austin stuns everybody in sight. Uh, he winds up winning the world title. Uh, he's he's uh, driving vehicles and, and taking apart celebrations. And they the thing that everybody always asks about that night, though, is for one night you went back to the old belt. Do you have any idea why that was? Like, Austin had been rocking the new, what they call Big Eagle Bell with the blue strap. But on this night, where you're celebrating Kane's win, it's just the regular old winged eagle that he won at WrestleMania 14. Any idea why that would have happened that way? No clue. I mean, it could be, it could have been in repair. And those are also during the days that championship, they would have to go in and get repaired and different things. And you would use what you had. So. I have I have no idea what that particular instance on that evening was, but that may have been it. So talk to me a little bit about uh, foot brawl. Uh, this was something that you guys were promoting from Foxborough Stadium on July 1st. You've actually got an arm wrestling match with Vince McMahon and Steve Austin. A big crowd there. Lots of pictures of this have popped up. Uh, somebody winds up taking a tumble into the water and uh there's photographs of you there the match i mean the, the thing i don't think actually wound up happening did it like the actual no, show you guys were promoting 
it, it did not. That, that was the day that uh, Vince had gone in and met with Robert Kraft. They had talked about doing this huge event in Foxwoods, wherever it is, wherever the, the them damn Patriots play. But this was going to be a huge, a big, huge event, an outdoor stadium. We went down and we did the announcement of it. And the promotion around it was Vince McMahon, arm wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We did it out on this, this island in the middle of Boston. And the water around it stunk to high heaven. It was disgusting. And you had to take a little boat out. And we had the island all decorated with all this different shit on it. Had the arm wrestling tables set up right in the middle. So that day I was, I was with Austin. So I'm, I'm with Austin all day long from the morning until night. And Steven had a particularly rough night and didn't sleep much the night before we had gotten together early in the day. And Steve, one of those, I need a couple beers just to, to take the, the tinge off here a little bit. So when we got out there, it was hot. It was gross. Uh, I'm in a suit, sweating my ass off. Steve's in shorts. We we get out there. And Vince decides when he's out there, go tell Steve to dump me in the water. I'm looking at him going, how deep is it? I don't know. God damn. Just throw me in the goddamn water. No one knows. I'm asking everybody, how deep is this? What What's in it? You know, because it stinks like shit. And Vince doesn't give a shit. So I go over and I tell Steve, I said, okay, after the, after the deal, when Vince turns his back, dump him in the water, which we did. So as we're doing this, and you're kind of on this platform and everything, and Vince is flailing all around like he's drowning, and he's screaming at me, Bruce, Bruce, help me, Bruce, help me. And I turn around, and there's good old Doc Hendricks. Dave, Dave, Dave. And I look at Michael. Michael's there. I think he had like a gray sport coat on and jeans and something else. And I'm like, good God, Michael, help him. He's drowning. Well, look, boss, I'll get you. Don't grab, boss. Here I come. And Michael reaches his hand out to help Vince in, and I knew what was coming next. Michael went a-swimming. And Vince pulled Michael in, and they had their fun. When I saw that, I said, Steve, let's get out of here. Steve and I jumped in the boat, did a victory lap around the island and let Vince up there. And Vince had this uh, horrible rash. Vince and Michael both, horrible rash all over their bodies from that disgusting water in, in that pond there outside of Boston. It was gross. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, let's talk about the uh, fully loaded pay-per-view. July 26, Fresno, California. We've covered this one in the archives. Undertaker and Steve Austin are going to beat Mankind and Kane to win the tag titles. Uh, lots of injuries. Probably not the best match. They got 17 and a half minutes. Uh, Meltzer didn't love it. Two and three-quarter stars. And this makes Austin a double champion, uh, which he's done before. Let's spend a time here as an intercontinental and a tag champion. But now he's the world champion and the tag team champion. Uh, what do you remember about uh, Fully Loaded here? Well, it, you know, it was done for a night. It was done for a spot. 
if you're ever going to be able to get heat on a champion, and, and especially somebody like Steve, this man is hard to beat. This is a time to do it. Um, because when you put the tag team titles on them, well, how, then how do you get them off? And now they've got to lose. And for me, I just didn't like it. I thought it was, well, what else are you going to do? Have them win. Okay, you have them win. The next question was never asked. Who's next? How do we get it off of them? And that was the frustration on, on a lot of our end, especially with me, because I just didn't understand. And I don't think that they had the answer at that time either. And that's where you know some of the the Russo creative would have holes in it because you'd start something, but you didn't have the finish already. Well, let's just do it. We'll figure it out later. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the next thing on Raw. It, it, it looks like there's going to be uh, a title switch with the Outlaws, but it doesn't actually happen. But it does happen on August 10th. It's a Four Corners tag team match, uh, and Undertaker and Austin wind up losing the titles to Mankind and Kane, uh, and that gets a, a build to SummerSlam 98. So the whole No Way Out show forward was building towards SummerSlam 98 where we're going to have the explosion of the former tag team champions now facing off for the world title, Steve Austin and Undertaker. Uh, we've covered this in the archives. Neither guy really wanted to be the heel. As a result, the match wasn't nearly what it could have been. It wasn't a terrible match, but it only got three and a half stars. But you would think with two big box office guys like this, the heat maybe would have been a little more significant. I know we covered this you know, in the archives last year, but... Uh, briefly touch on why you think this Undertaker-Austin feud wasn't as hot, maybe, as it could have been. Because it was a babyface. It was a whole babyface issue. There was no one solidly to get behind. I think the audience liked both. You had your two biggest heroes, your two biggest babyfaces, with a couple-of-month build to a one-on-one -on -one match that I... Taker didn't have a strong case to go win the championship, and Steve didn't have a strong case to kick Taker's ass. It was just the meeting of these two badasses for the championship. In the old days, maybe it would have worked. I, I just it didn't work here because no one had a solid baby face and a solid heel, somebody to root for and someone to root against. I think the audience kind of wanted both guys to win, and in that situation, you don't have a winner. Austin got knocked out in this when their heads collided. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yep. Double uh, Naga knocker, yes. And he was he was out for a few minutes. Did, well, not a few minutes, but yeah, he was out. Did you know it when you saw it, or did you find out after the fact? I found out after the fact. When, when it happened, you could tell that he was a little out of it. But when you're, you're asking questions, guys at ringside, is Steve okay? And you're asking the referee and everybody, and they're giving you a thumbs up that he's okay. And I'm sure they were asking Steve, Steve, are you all right? And he just was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. But when you're knocked out like that and you, you kind of knock silly, that's what you're going to say most of the time. The September 14th Raw, McMahon comes out and announces that The Undertaker and Kane have uh, come to a business arrangement uh, where they're going to work together to get the title off of Steve Austin. Uh, and that's the breakdown pay-per-view that we're going to be setting up. And it can only end if one of them pin Austin or if Austin pins one of them. 
Uh, later in that same show, Austin would defend the title against Cam- Ken Shamrock, uh, which I think is their actual first match together. Uh, Shamrock here, was he considered, you know, obviously we're just going to you know, keep it moving and we're on to the breakdown show with Kane and, and, and Undertaker working against Steve. It does feel like Shamrock could have been a big deal for you guys as a big opponent for Steve Austin and have a, a longer feud a longer run together. Why do you think that didn't happen? Because Ken didn't have the verbal skills for it to happen. And Ken, yes, tremendous athlete, ungodly athlete. And he couldn't see through anything that he did. He was great in the ring. But Ken's verbal skills to try and get you to that point, he would have had had to have had a mouthpiece. And in comparison to some of the other heels that Steve had waiting in the wings for him, Ken was better as, you know, underneath that and working in a support role underneath that because Steve needed that strong heel that could cut those promos and go back and forth with him verbally. The main event of Breakdown really sucked. Uh, We covered this in the archives. Uh, It goes down September 27th, Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, They go 22 minutes, Austin, Undertaker, and Kane. They do like a double pin deal. Vince tries to leave with the belt, jumping into a limo. Austin's supposed to run after him, uh, but he's just walking. Uh, it, it's it's really not the visual people probably imagined. I know you sometimes have, have been pretty vocal about not really loving a three-way match. Uh, this one was just sort of doomed from the start, was it not? Well... Same thing. Again, in my opinion, you only had one heel in there and Kane. If you've got two heels and a baby face, now the baby face is in some jeopardy and I'm really rooting for him to overcome. At this point, I'm, I'm kind of happy if Undertaker wins. I'm happy if Steve wins. I really don't care that much if Kane wins. I don't want him to win. But he was the only heel and it was the, the reverse psychology of how you would normally put a three-way together. And that's why it didn't work. It didn't work because the audience is confused. Is the the same thing in SummerSlam? Who the hell do you root for? Right. I love Stone Cold Steve Austin. I love The Undertaker. Super strong characters. But now I've got Kane in there, and I don't care as long as somebody beats him. So the next night on Raw is a pretty big deal. Austin shows up uh, on a Zamboni and drives it from the outside of the building as the cops scatter. And uh, he jumps off the Zamboni into the ring, clotheslines the McMahon family. The police handcuff him, take him away. And this is really, uh, I guess, the start of a, of a fad where Austin is going to be driving different vehicles into the arena. Who first had this idea of the Zamboni, as best you recall? First, I heard it was from Vince McMahon. God damn it. What if Steve throws something in? And and, and and then when we were in the arena, he looked at it and goes, God damn, he could drive that big Zamboni. And it, and it just happened. What people don't know about that is when you watch and you see Steve go through the curtains, Steve's blinded by the curtains. They weren't up in rehearsal. So... The idea was the curtains were up, Steve knocks the shit down and and continues on and goes to the ring. Well, when he hit the curtains, he just took them with him and they blinded him. He didn't know where the hell he was going. To get out of the way, everybody had 
pretty much gotten out of his way on on all the other sides. But I was against the wall there at the gorilla position. And when Steve came, Steve, that damn Zamboni hit my table and pinned me against the wall. Had it come over just a little bit more, you know, we wouldn't be doing this podcast, by God. And it was, wasn't his fault. He couldn't see. <laughs> but it was some scary shit. And that's, the you know, the, if you're going to rehearse, you know, you learn every time you do something. If you're going to rehearse it, do it in the wartime atmosphere. Put everything up as it's going to be that night when you actually do it. And... Then it became a thing. Hey, what's Steve going to drive to the ring? And that became his deal. Uh, Let's keep it moving here. The next week, this is a big story. Uh, Vince is in the hospital because he's been attacked by Kane and the Undertaker as they, in storyline, broke his ankle. And Austin is here, dressed up as a doctor. And, um, well, it's a pretty famous clip. And I guess he is going to try to... uh, Shove something up Vince's ass. Chat me up. What do you remember about filming this? What about the hospital? I mean, when he hits him in the head with a bedpan, it's it's a it's a classic clip that still gets shown and talked about to this day. You know, it's funny that you talk about that bed. That was a real bedpan, uh, very stiff bedpan that left a knot on Vince's head the size of a huge egg. But so much stuff, and and this is, again, one of those places where Vince Russo doesn't get enough credit because this was a Russo production, and this was something that he had talked about with Vince McMahon and something that he had worked out with Mick Foley and Steve to get that classic shit. And Vince McMahon was becoming a lot more open to let's try some different things. Let's let's do shit we, we haven't done before. And Mick Foley was so good off the cuff that Vince trusted Mick and allowed him to go out and have fun. And I think it was Al Snow that came up with the Mr. Sucko. Hello there, boys and girls. And Yurple the Clown. And and that was her debut. And that was a one-off that became a reoccurring character that everybody's like, what the fuck? What are we going to do with Yurple? Uh, Can we teach her to take a bump? Uh, All of that. And that was during a time that we could do things. It was not heavily scripted. It was an idea. It was a scene that Vince and Austin, because they had such great chemistry, you throw Mick Foley into that as well. They had such great chemistry and were so good off the cuff, they made that shit memorable without all right, I say this, and then I move here. It was, here's the scene, here's what we want, have a fight, kick his ass, uh, go from there. And that was the beauty of what was happening during that time. The October 12th Raw, Austin would drive a cement mixer in the building and fill Vince's Corvette with it until the windows blow out. They still actually have this Corvette, we learned last year, year before last. Uh, at the WWF warehouse, which is pretty amazing that they still hung, hung on to this thing. Whose idea was this? Where did you find the car? What can you tell us about this pretty famous skit here? We did that, I believe that was in Nassau Coliseum. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but Vince was thinking, it was like, what if Steve 
destroyed like my prized possession and, and I, I had a sports car or something. We bought this Corvette. It looked like shit. Uh, but Vince, okay, we, we cleaned it up as best that we possibly could. And as we're doing it, we're sitting there looking at it. We tried a, a rehearsal with some stuff with another car. And when you filled up the the car, it, it just the cement oozed over. It was less than spectacular. It wasn't good. And it's like, well, what if, what if we rolled the windows up? Again, it's totally illogical. Why on a beautiful day you're driving a Corvette, but you have the windows up on it. But that's what we did because the windows, when all that cement came up, you could actually see it then. And it filled up, and then the pop on the windows was a happy accident that we really we were ready for, but we weren't ready for it the way that it happened. And iconic. That was one of those deals, just you're sitting there looking at it, let's try it this way. We've got one shot at it, do it, and voila. Scene played over and over. How many times have you seen that pop with the cement and the Corvette? Oh, forever. I mean, it's, it's an iconic skit. Uh, how much do you think you guys paid for that if you had to guess? Probably, I don't know, $25,000. It's pretty crazy. Uh, later in the show, Austin and Rock would beat Kane and the Undertaker by DQ when Big Boss Man comes out wearing a mask and attacks Austin and then unmasks. And this is Bug Big Boss Man's return to the WWF after having a stint in WCW. Uh, why why debut Boss Man this way? I mean, obviously you're putting him with the hottest star in the business, but it does feel, I don't know, like an interesting spot to have him because he hadn't been previously sort of positioned near the top of the cards. I think that the idea behind it was to have, you know, this was going to be Vince's heater. And Bossman was in great shape. He looked absolutely fantastic. And it was a, you know, reimagining, reinventing the big Bossman in this new gear and this whole brand new look. Um, The idea originally, from what I know, was to bring the big Bossman in and have him work with Steve and have him work for the championship. But, Unfortunately, that damn bell rang, and, and Boss Man wasn't the same big Boss Man that we had had before. He had lost a lot of weight, and unfortunately, he had I think he had lost a step or two as well in the ring and didn't have that same intensity that Vince was looking for. Um, but debuting him that way, the idea was that's going to be, you know, big Boss Man and Stone Cold Steve Austin. People would believe this big nasty son of a bitch would put a beating on Austin. Then Survivor Series happened. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, The Judgment Day pay-per-view comes first. Uh, Austin is the ref during an Undertaker-Kane match to crown a new champion. And Vince said if Austin didn't raise the hand of the winner, he'd fire him live on the show. Paul Bearer comes out and asks Kane to step aside so he could hit the Undertaker with a chair. Uh, And in a totally predictable move, he then hit Kane with a chair who no-sold the blow. Um, eventually we go back and forth. Undertaker's arguing with Austin. Austin gives him a stunner and a chair shot and counts with both men laying on the mat and rules them both the loser and himself the winner. 
and Vince fired him. I mean, obviously nobody really thought Austin was fired. Uh, what do you think of the finish of that show? I mean, probably not the best pay-per-view you guys could have put on, huh? I'll give you the description Pat Patterson would give of that finish. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Right. Yeah, shit. Um, yeah. You, you kind of, you're promising you're promising people something that they're going to see something and you give them a stipulation and when it doesn't happen it's disappointing right for the audience they're expecting okay Austin's gonna have to count somebody I'm gonna get I'm walking out of this with either Kane or the Undertaker as the champion that doesn't happen and I think that that this is where a lot of times the stipulations, and all the conditions we would put on matches, they just didn't happen. And they didn't mean anything. Right. So the more you do that, every single fucking special match you have, people go, oh, it's not going to matter anyway. So the next night on Raw, Austin is going to take Vince hostage. And this is a pretty famous segment here. Austin makes Vince say oink, oink real loud, ties him up, puts duct tape over his mouth, and then later in the show, brings Vince to the ring, holds a gun to his head, uh, and Vince looks like he's going to piss himself, and he does. Uh, and then Austin pulls the trigger, and a sign comes out of the gun that says, Bang 316. And then, of course, Austin stunned Vince McMahon. A very famous segment. Uh, I mean, i got to ask. This is sort of silly, but this is what we do here on the show. Was that uh, working piss or shoot piss? What, what, the, what, what kind of question would that be? Oh, so it's shoot piss. Pisses R Us. Oh, okay. I understand. This yeah, is pisses R Us. I got it. Actually, it's pisses us, but they're <laughs> a conglomerate off of urine R Us. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it sure is. Um, let's Just keep... be us and shit? <laughs> yeah, why not, right? Uh, this, this shows, if anything else, that Vince is a good sport and pretty much willing to do anything. Is it not? Again, it's a demonstration of Vince when he would ask someone to do something ridiculous to be able to to look him in the eye. and He's never asked anybody to do something that he himself wouldn't do. Right. So this was a place you know, where for Steve to make him look ridiculous, and he was willing to do that. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, let's talk about uh, Austin being interviewed by People Magazine. Uh, he's uh, one of the breakthrough stars of 1998, uh, and uh, he was also going to be featured in the Sexiest Bald Men issue. Uh, he's also going to be on the Billboard Music Awards on MTV. Uh, it, it, it's pretty amazing that um, wrestling got as hot as it did, as fast as it did. Austin is everywhere. He's mainstream everywhere. It, it probably feels like a few years prior, you know, when you guys were trying to do like WrestleMania 11. You're trying to court as many celebrities as you can. Sort of the same thing at WrestleMania 10. Fast forward a few years, and now everybody, you know, the mainstream attention, I mean, they're chasing you, right? Yeah, it became our guys were the celebrities. And that was the beauty of it, that all of a sudden we went from growing from the outside in that we were now exploding outside. Right. Steve was everywhere. It was... Jesus, it was a phenomenon. We had security that would meet, and and rock was rock was getting big too. And this that undercurrent underneath all of this, but we had security. We had relationships 
with the airlines that security would meet their planes and they would take them off the plane down. They didn't walk down the runway or down the, uh, the gate area. They would take them down the steps right outside the plane. They would have SUVs waiting for them and whisk them away so that they would never be in the airport proper because the airports were having security issues. You go back in 1998, you didn't have the strict security that you have now. You could go and meet your plane uh, at the gate. You know, 10 of you could go down there to meet your loved one coming off the plane. So there were security issues with people going to the airport wanting to to see Steve, wanting to get autographs, wanting to get pictures, what have you. So we would have security that would meet them, bam, take them down in SUVs, whisk them away, and, and get them off to the hotel or get them off to the building. And that was with that was with all of our top guys because it had gotten so big so fast that we were experiencing things that we had never experienced before. And it, it came quick, and we just had to you had to adapt and go. The November second Raw opens with Shane McMahon saying his father wasn't around, uh, and he was in charge. So Steve Austin is going to get a title shot on the November sixteenth Raw, and then Vince shows up in a limo and gives a really really strong heel interview, and um, we're sort of off to the races. Uh, with what's going to happen at Survivor Series. Uh, we, we've touched on this before. We certainly did uh, a whole episode on Survivor Series 98. Steve is in a 16-man tournament to crown a world champion. And then there is the Steve Austin Big Boss Man match that, boy, you really love. Meltzer would call it a real weak finish. And I think you would say that's even probably a little polite. Oh, fuck. Uh... Yeah, it, it was absolutely terrible. The, the finish, they had everybody out at the ring from the corporation. And the finish was supposed to take place with with Steve, where Shane gives him the double birds, and Steve gets up to go corner Shane. Bossman, who would have been out at the ring, supposed to be there the entire show, slides in the ring behind Austin, nails Austin with the nightstick, and Austin's now screwed. We're out there. The match is taking place. Get to the spot. I'm like, where the fuck is Boss Man? And, I, and everybody's looking around. They go, where is Boss Man? I said, he's at ringside. Now, backstage, before the match, right before the match, everybody is standing in front of the gorilla position. I send everybody to the ring. It's like, just like normal. Boss Man was there. But he had asked, Right before they went, he says, hey, I've got to go over my match with Undertaker. Uh, I'll be, can I do that? And he didn't go out for the match. Now, why no one caught that, I don't know, because um, he was there. I remember talking to him <laughs> the whole nine yards. And I'm screaming in the back, where the fuck is Boss Man? And we're in St. Louis, and, and, and it was just absolutely an insane moment when there's no boss man nobody knows what the hell to do finally somebody says get in it somebody hit steve with a chair to which jerry briscoe jumped in and they had to do something steve couldn't beat up shane they had to do something to get steve out of it 
and we called it the Tink Heard Round the World because Steve's got a bad neck. Briscoe's swinging a chair. Briscoe sure as hell did not want to be responsible for hurting Steve. Steve didn't know what the hell was coming at him anyway. And we had to do something to get the hell out of this match. And you had enough guys out there to hopefully do it. It looked like shit. And then here comes Boss Man running around the corner, running to the ring. And everybody's, where the fuck were you? Um, a catastrophe. It, it was the shits. It's one of those, we know what was supposed to happen. The audience doesn't necessarily know. But in this situation, they knew that it sucked. It wasn't good. Well, it wasn't good. Austin's going to move on to the semifinals against Mankind. Uh, Mankind pins Austin in 10 minutes and 27 seconds. Austin selling the left arm. Uh, pretty big here. Uh, three stars uh, is the finish. Uh, Shane is uh, involved here where Austin is laying down for three with Shane counting. And uh, they do a getaway car tease with Patterson, Briscoe, and Slaughter getting in a limo and fleeing, uh, theoretically, I guess, with Vince and Shane with them. Austin steals a van and leaves after him. What did you think of the payoff here with Shane double-crossing, doing the middle finger, and then the getaway car and stealing a van? Oh, boy. I love the finish the way it was laid out originally and how it was supposed to take place. If it had taken place that way, it would have been great. It would have been off the charts great. And people would talk about, you know, that time that uh, screwed over Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then everything else, I think, almost would have been forgotten and it would have made, everything would have made sense. But that didn't happen. And I think it made everything else just look... Yeah. <laughs> A lot of that. It just was anticlimactic because it... it, it it wasn't as intense. It wasn't as big of an FU as it was meant to be and as it was laid out to be. And unfortunately, you're left with that and you've got to go through with plans and sometimes it's just not as good as you think it's going to be. The next item on Raw opens with Vince and Shane uh, along with Rock telling the story of their swerve. Austin's going to come out and say his contract guaranteed him a title match on November 16th. McMahon said he already had the title shot in the tournament the night before. And then Austin named a local judge who claimed he had ruled the contract was binding, and they air a videotape of Judge Mills Lane of boxing referee fame. Uh, we've never really talked about this, but how the fuck did Mills Lane get involved in this? Mills Lane was doing a show like Judge Judy. Right. And... It was promotion for Mills Lane. He was he was a good friend of the show, and we offered he was going to do some stuff with us, offered to help him out with his show, just an old friend, and helping somebody out with their new show, getting some exposure. And that's all it was ever meant to do. Uh, later in the show, Austin beats Rock by DQ in about eight minutes. It's a title match. The heat is off the charts for this one. Uh, Mankind's going to come out and attack Bossman. Shamrock and Bossman are doubling on Mankind. Austin hits the stunner. Shamrock pulls Earl Hebner out of the ring. Undertaker hits Austin with a shovel, and there's your DQ. Uh, Undertaker is about to destroy Austin with a shovel, but for some reason, Paul Bearer stopped him. Uh, you know, this is sort of a throwaway Raw here, but 
Man, you go back and you watch this, and the crowd was just on fire for it. Um, the November 30th Raw is kind of interesting. Undertaker locks Steve Austin in a meat locker, and uh, Austin later gets out of the show, and he clocks Undertaker uh, with a, uh, a shovel, and he and Kane put him in a body bag uh, while Bearer was gone. And the show ends with Austin and Kane cornering Bearer, taking him to the ring, and Austin's about to stab him in the chest but changes his mind and they drag him out of the arena, throw him in a manhole, and the show ends supposedly with Bearer in the sewer. What the fuck is going on here? We got dudes in meat lockers, dudes getting hit with shovels, almost seeing a stabbing. Now we're throwing the dude like he's a fucking Ninja Turtle into the sewer. This is this is a lot. Oh, yes! <laughs> oh man I don't even know where to begin on that <laughs> yeah what 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 the where where the fuck do you begin what do you say shit was happening and we were just in that building and, and saw the the sewer hole Paul bear was several things first of all he was concerned about fitting which he barely did. And second of all, ruining his suit. But Vince's thing was, he'd be down in there with the rats in the gutter in the sewer. Perfect for him. Um, oh, God. I, I think that there was an attempt. Every show, Steve had to do something. Steve had Steve had to overcome adversity. And, and this even goes back to the Hulk Hogan days where... A lot of times, Hulkster, he had he had the phrase, "You got to stack the deck," and that's what we did with Steve. You know, Hogan would stack the deck for the pay per view, stack the deck for his matches. With Steve, we had to stack the deck every week, and we had to give him something new to overcome and something new for him to do that gets him over the top every night. Like a knife, Put the, hit him with a knife. Ain't a knife, damn it! It's a, it's a sacrificial instrumental to get to the other side. To the other side, boy, you guys are tiptoeing through it's the an tulips. So, an instrument, okay? It's a symbol too. I know. I got it. Yeah, he ascended with the knife. I mean the the <laughs> ceremonial instrument. Thank you. Thank you. The next week on Raw, we've got Austin and Mankind taking on Taker and Rock. Four Druids show up with the cross. Yeah. It's a symbol. For oh, me. sorry. 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 Austin and Taker were brawling, and Taker knocks out Austin with a chair shot. Then they tie him to the cross. I mean, symbol. Symbol. And then they crucify him. And when they raise the the symbol. They didn't crucify him. He, he was tied, and he ascended up into the... Burnham Sabitz. When did you know this was the fucking worst idea ever? <sighs> like, in my head, you know, this, you know, I don't want to get on a real religious kick here, but in my head, when you guys are doing a walkthrough, because if you're going to do a stunt where dudes are like going up on apparatuses in the air, you're not just going to do that for the first time in front of a live crowd. You're going to actually try it beforehand. When you guys are, are, are sort of walking through that, is anybody looking around saying, hey, should we be doing this? Is this a good idea? I mean, there has to be 
somebody who raises their hand, whether it's a performer, someone in the back, or is everybody just like, no, let's just see how far we can push this. I'm sure someone raised raised a concern. Um, I didn't. I just kind of went, okay, that's what you want to do. It's Look, it's entertainment. So at that point, it's you're entertaining. It's not real. And if you take it as real, then that's on you. It's, it's entertainment and it's, it's Gaga and we're telling stories and entertaining you. Is it in good taste? Probably not. Um, but that's all subjective as well when you talk about taste. What I think is good taste. Other people may not. Listen, and I, I want to ask you person. about that. I, I know that. I understand, and I really do believe you. And and I and I'll, I'll co when you say, <coughs> excuse me, it's just entertainment, you know. Uh, and and that's why I look at it. It's just entertainment. Um, it's not real. Whatever, I get it. However, like nobody, wrestling's different. And I know you said it shouldn't be, but it, it's not. But well, it is a little bit because. Like nobody approaches Al Pacino and says, "Hey, Michael Corleone." Like, you know, that's not they know it's Al Pacino, but but at the same time, you know, Steve Austin in this era, everywhere he went, he's Stone Cold. He's Steve Austin. That's not even his real name, but but people still call him Steve Austin, and it, it's like this weird, like when nobody calls Clark Kent. I mean, nobody calls Christopher Reeves Clark Kent. I mean, he—they know it's Christopher Reeves, and in real life, you don't refer to him that. that was a character he played. But in wrestling, you sort of become the character, and I know that that is is different from the other forms of entertainment. So I think that's why some people would take something like this and say, "I don't know if that's really a good idea," because you are so intentionally trying to blur the lines, almost like a magician. You know, I mean, you and I have have talked about magic a lot, some on the show, but a lot off the show. And there's so much of that that is sort of behind the curtain. And, and there's a lot of similarities with wrestling. But they really become that character um, when they're in the general public. It's not like they're just, they're only that person when they're on stage. They're that person when they're, you know, get pumping gas in their car, right? In the old days, yes. And, and that is definitely how it is. However, when you look at, you know, to your point of what you just said, soap operas. There are people that believed everything that they still do. The soap opera characters, that that's who they are in real life, and, and that people only know them as their soap opera names. Uh, James Gandolfini talked about people seeing him in real life and thinking he's Tony Soprano. Sure. When you have a strong character in Stone Cold Steve Austin, the under, these are strong characters that have been on for many years and you get, you feel that you know them. It's they're in your home every week. You, you invite them in. So it's, it's the same, but we're just, you know, a lot of times you said, because it's, it's real people sometimes. And that's where that line gets blurred. Some guys use the real name. Some guys don't. Some guys are a character and it's totally fiction. But even the people that use their real names, they're still playing a character on TV. And they're still doing maybe not necessarily what the human being would do, but what the character would do. So, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. 
And so you have to look at it when you're creating it, when you're writing it, when you're looking at it from a strictly entertainment standpoint. The gloves are off, and I think anything is fair game. And it really comes down to a matter of taste. Um. You guys obviously got a lot of backlash on that. We've talked about this before, but I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, the build-up for them crucifying, I mean, putting Steve on the craw, the symbol, uh, is a buried alive match at rock bottom. Uh, they're going to go 21 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, I've tried to get this out of you for three or four years now on the show. What's it going to take for you to tell everybody how these buried alive matches were done? It's magic. They get buried alive. They actually are buried. Yeah. And it's magic. You don't give away David Copperfield's tricks. No, but th- well, this isn't a David Copperfield podcast. Well, I understand that, but it, it's that's the magic that that not everybody needs to know. And the, those who know, okay, great. But it's it's magic, and well, it's an illusion. It's it's. Why do you arbitrarily pick this one? You know, you've told us the ma- the the magic behind everything else. Why is this one so personal for you? Um, because I like this one. I, I don't look. Look, hey, here's the thing. Not everybody needs to know everything. So there, there are certain things that that are kept within, and and that's why it's it's. I don't discuss what guys' contracts are. I won't discuss money or anything like that because I don't feel that's anybody else's business. And this is one of those that's just very personal and private to me and and business. This is not the best Married Alive match. It only gets three quarters of a star. Um, the whole thing, the whole finish is sort of uh, shit. I mean, this is the worst one, and, and it's really not close. Talk to me. Yeah, both guys, both guys were injured, and both guys were hurting pretty bad. Um, and the bulldozer. Into the, the match, I wouldn't have booked the match. Uh, and Mel- in general, and Meltzer even says the bulldozer got stage fright and couldn't perform, which is, I mean, the whole thing is just a mess. The, the, the way they try to get to the finish here, and I guess we should mention um, Steve Austin is going to be in trouble on, on the way back from, or on the way uh, to England on a flight where he has to cancel all of his promotional appearances. He can't eat for four days. Um, and this was right before that pay-per-view. Uh, he was apparently, you know, injured in that show. And uh, he's supposed to be checked out just so they could try to make it possible for him to wrestle on some of the big shows. You know, when you when you hear of a guy, your top star like this, you're going to have to pull out of appearances and miss some dates and Miss some house shows, and he's your your hottest star in it close. I mean, is every is everybody panicking a little bit because things aren't just business as usual? Uh, I mean, obviously it's different because you know so much of the shows, so many of the shows are already sold out. But you do want to sort of deliver what you advertise too, right? You do, and and it's difficult when somebody like a Stone Cold Steve Austin is unable to perform because at that time. A lot of people were only coming to see Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's a tough one to replace. Uh, who the hell do you go into and say, okay, because whenever you do a replacement, you always want to, if you can, 
be better than what was originally advertised. How the hell do you get better than a Stone Cold Steve Austin? So that that's but that's also business and that's part of it. Sometimes shit happens and you have to adapt and make the very best of it as you can. It's not always going to be perfect. So it sucks when when one your not one of your top guys, your top guy, your top attraction is not able to go. But he's also, you know, this is where the human being part comes in. He is only human. So let's talk about what's next. Uh, Royal Rumble 1999. That's how we're going to kick off 99. Austin's in the Rumble match, and he's number one. And the commissioner, Shawn Michaels, has deemed that number two will be Vince McMahon. And Austin's going to beat up on Vince for a few minutes until Golga comes in, and Austin eliminates him. And then Vince goes through the crowd and led Austin into the women's bathroom where he was attacked by the corporation and left laying unconscious. He's loaded into an ambulance, taken to the hospital. uh, And Vince then goes to ringside and starts to do commentary while he's still legally in the match. And Austin would uh, drive the limo back to the building and then uh, re-enter the match. Uh, and then uh, he goes on to eliminate Shamrock, Billy Gunn, Test, Bossman, Triple H, Owen Hart, and China. And The Rock comes down, distracts Austin. Vince throws him out from behind. And unbelievably, Vince McMahon wins the Royal Rumble. Now, the next night on Raw, Vince forfeits his match against The Rock at WrestleMania. And Michaels puts Austin in the match. And Austin agrees to put his title up against Vince to get a match with him. Vince agrees, and that sets up St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We just covered that one, which is a pretty unbelievable show, especially the main event. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you do. McMahon pulls out all the stops. Uh, It's pretty unbelievable what he's willing to do here. They go less than eight minutes after the bell rings. Uh, The match only got two and three-quarter stars on the Observer, but it's five stars on the effort for Vince McMahon for me. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. It was scary. And that, you know, in so many ways, that was, it was a good thing because we, we got a new cage out of it. We got new <laughs> new rings out of it, but it was an ungodly performance for somebody that was not a trained long-term professional wrestler to go out and do and perform the way that he did at the level that he did with Steve because Steve will lay it in. Steve's a tough son of a bitch, and he's going to make you know that he's there every single step of the way. Well, you know, it's it's something that you know he deserves to be applauded for. Uh, let's talk about his appearances on the CBS television show Nash Bridges. You know, we had seen Austin pop up in the Silk Stockings and things like that here or there, but now he's playing Jake Cage on a CBS television show, February 26th. How do you think Austin did? Uh, as an actor, you know, he's made some movies over the years. I can't necessarily say that he's won any awards for that. You know, maybe he, his wrestling was a little better than his acting, but he's had some stuff. What did you think of, of his uh, appearances on Nash Bridges? Well, they made a character that was very close to who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. So he didn't have to really act that much other than be himself and be put in different situations. And for that character, the Nash Bridges, I thought Steve did really well and again it wasn't a stretch from who he was as a human being and who he 
was as a character that he portrayed every single week on television. Uh, it was good enough that the folks at CBS pitched to do a series just on based on Steve's character. And that didn't actually come to fruition, but it was pitched. And I think that people felt Steve's acting skills in that regard uh, were better than most. On the March 22nd Raw, Austin comes down driving a Coors Light beer truck and sprays beer all over The Rock, Vince, and Shane. Pretty iconic moment here. Whose idea was this? Uh, How excited is everybody to do it? Was this a paid endorsement spot? I know that seems silly, but it does feel like, you know, when there's a a giant Coors truck here and it's not only, you know, shown prominently to a huge audience live, but also on television and for years to come, Somebody should have wrote a check for that. Did they? Well, they should have, but they didn't. And it was during a time that we were trying to get beer companies as sponsors. And we were actually trying to get Steve his own beer. And Steve liked Coors Light. We all liked Coors Light. And they were interested at the time. This was a way to let them know, hey, here's some exposure for you. This is the type of thing that we can do. It's like we did with light beer. this is what we can deliver for you. This is the audience that is there for you and that can be there for you each and every week. I thought it was a damn cool idea, something that hadn't been done before. I don't know. You know, Vince McMahon sometimes sits there and comes up with some crazy shit. I'm sure Russo definitely had a hand in it as well. Just what the question became every week. How do we top ourselves? How do we go further than we went last week? What what's what's that next holy shit moment for Stone Cold? So after the beard truck or the beer truck, I think people sort of lose sight of this. Austin beat the Big Show uh, at this time, Paul White, in nine minutes and twenty nine seconds with a stunner after several chair shots. I only mention this because this is White's first match in the WWF, and it's on Raw. It's not on a pay per view. In hindsight, should you save this? God, I think you should have built to it over a over a long term deal. Uh, in in a lot of ways, that could have been it could have been WrestleMania, but it if not that WrestleMania, it could have been the WrestleMania the very next year, and build to that, build this monster giant. Um, yeah, it was rushed. I definitely think they could have waited. WrestleMania 15 is right around the corner, of course. It's March 28th, 1999 in Philadelphia. We covered this one in the archives. You know what the main event is. Steve Austin is going to regain the world title, beating The Rock in just about 17 minutes. Shawn Michaels is the ref. Uh, Eventually, you know, we see uh, Mike Chioda come down to ref as well. Um, I'm sorry, Shawn is the uh, commissioner, rather. Uh, And he's uh, banning the corporation uh, from interfering. The match is, uh, I don't know, it's okay, I guess. Three and a half stars. It's probably not the level of heat they had on their Raw match a few weeks prior. and probably not as good as the matches they would have in the future. Uh, there's been lots of discussion that this maybe wasn't even the original idea. Maybe originally it was supposed to be a three-way with Mankind. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the main event, what you thought of it. Uh, and obviously Mankind is involved in the match either way. But would it have been better had Foley been the third wheel in this one? 
No, it, I, I don't think it would have been because uh, uh, same thing that we talked about earlier with the three-way matches. Steve needed a Steve needed a heel to work with. It just was a lot cleaner, and it was, in my opinion, a lot better. It, it's just cleaner when you have a clear path to your opponent. There was a clear, easy story, and adding other people, I think, would have muddied it up, and it wouldn't have been as good. The match would not have been as good. And I thought the match, I thought the match was very good. Was it their best? No, it probably wasn't. But they had so many great ones that that's that's hard to to rate in that regards. But I did think it was a good match, and it, it did deliver in the big spot. Uh, let's keep it rolling here. The next night on Raw, the show opens with Austin asking Vince to come out. He wants, um, or he gives Vince the title he won at WrestleMania, and he wants the old custom-made Stone Cold belt back. I guess we should mention that Stone Cold actually had uh, his own custom world championship that's commonly referred to as the Smoking Skull, which I believe Joe Marshall made. And um, it's kind of an interesting idea. We haven't really talked about it too much. What do you think of the Smoking Skull World Championship? <laughs> okay, you're a belt guy. I'm not. I didn't even realize that Steve had a different, had his own custom championship, probably for maybe a month. Uh, and that's how, how little I paid attention to, to some of those things. But when I saw it, I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. And originally, uh, I thought that that was just a one-off thing. The first time I saw it, oh, hey, that's cool. You're going to take that out there. Then when we made a big deal out of it, and it progressed from there. It was it was a pretty neat deal. But the fact that we didn't make a big deal out of it when he first got it, I thought, well, then why have it? You know what I mean? Right. It was never a big. There was never a big deal made out of it uh, until until later. He had had it for quite some time before we made any big deal out of it. Well, they're making a big deal out of it here uh, because you know the, he's he's beating everybody up. He wants this belt back, and and it progresses to the point where on April twelfth, Rock is on a bridge and threatens to throw Austin's belt off a bridge in the river, just like Austin did the Rock's Intercontinental title once before. And Austin ended up showing up, and they fight. And Rock winds up knocking Austin off the bridge into the river. So it's kind of fun that, you know, we've turned up the volume from, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw your belt in. And then years later, well, I'm going to throw your belt in. Nope, I'm just going to throw you in. All right, that feels like you guys had the volume turned all the way up when you're talking about throwing dudes off bridges. Where did you shoot this? When was it shot? Who produced it? What can you tell us about this stunt? Vince and I produced it. Uh, Vince McMahon and I produced it. And it was it was near the building where we were. And I, I can't even remember the city, but I remember being out there shooting it at night and thinking, you know, what the hell are we doing? Because we had they had to close off traffic and they had to divert traffic all around us. Now, we didn't do the shoot until like one or two o'clock in the morning, which then they were allowed, you know, they said, okay, we can shut the streets down for X, X number of hours, whatever it was. And I think we only shut it down for like an hour completely total. But you have to get permits and all that other. You got to get permits, Conrad. Right. If you're going to throw a man off a bridge, you must be permitted to do that. Just saying. 
So there's a little behind the scenes. You got to get a permit if you want to throw a man off the bridge. Um, and it was, it just was one of those long nights of getting everything shot and then the, the dummy going off the bridge. And I thought it looked like shit. <laughs> it did. It was terrible. Uh, but it was, God damn, it's great. I love it. No one can tell it's too dark. Well, if we turned off some of these fucking lights, it might be. But uh, yeah, not my, not one of those, not one of my favorites. Going back through the years, and and it was okay. How do you get here? You know what I mean. And it would have been maybe even better if we'd actually had a real stunt man versus a dummy that could actually take the bump and be flailing along, going going out. Obviously, Steve's not going to take that bump. Um. Well, I mean, Austin needed a stuntman 24-7 because on April 16th, he was at the San Antonio airport ready, getting ready to fly to Vancouver for the show that night, and he's hit by a car, and, and the driver drives off, but Austin managed to get the license plate number. What do you remember about somebody saying that he was bald with a goatee and then decided, hit that motherfucker with a car? That's what you do, Conrad. That's no, we no, we can't say that because then we'll be in a headline. Popular podcast says if you see a bald man with a goatee, hit him with your car. No, that wouldn't be. Let's say, let's say, hit that motherfucker with a car, and I'm yeah, for it. I'm, that, I'm for it. Yeah, try it at home. See don't, what happens. Don't do that. Don't do it if you're gonna sue anybody. Sue Conrad Thompson at uh, it's at Hey Hey. I'm Conrad. <laughs> I'm Conrad. Oh my God. So uh, tell me about, you know, Austin getting run over for real. Not the, the silliness we're going to get to in a minute in Survivor Series, but this is in April. Yeah, no, it was just an accident. I think Steve was crossing the street and some asshole didn't see him and hit him and just kept going. Amazing. Steve wasn't hurt or anything. It was, but it was like, what the fuck? Um, that was just a, a crazy accident mishap that, that took place as he was going to the damn airport and shit happens. I've hit someone. I've hit someone at the airport before. It happens. Oh my god! What goatee? But should have been. Should have been is right. Let's talk about the backlash pay per view. It's a WrestleMania meet rematch between Austin and Rock. Austin's going to retain the title, uh, pinning Rock in 17 minutes and seven seconds. And uh, earlier in the show, Shane McMahon had vowed on the name of his beloved grandfather. And if Austin pinned Rock, uh, he would count fairly. And Vince was mad, but Stephanie assured everyone that if Shane used Vince Sr.'s name, he'd be fair. Um, of course, that means he probably won't. Anyway, Spanish announce table, Rock bottom, you know the drill. Pretty good match, four and a quarter stars. I think this is probably the best pay-per-view match that Austin and Rock have had up to this point. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree at that point, because it was... Again, the I think the stakes were getting higher. So the, the higher the stakes, the more intense that the match became. To me, I think they always had some great matches. Uh, they had natural chemistry, and they worked so damn well together that they to me they couldn't have a bad match. And this stakes were raising, and it got more and more intense as you went along. Well, I can't wait for us to talk about this Backlash 99 show. I'm sure we'll cover it. Uh, sometime later this month, but the finish of this show is is what people really remember. The Ministry of Darkness is going to go to Vince McMahon's limo, and Stephanie's there, and the cops tell the driver to drive away, and Stephanie doesn't want to leave until her dad comes back, 
And as the show is ending, it's revealed that it was the Undertaker driving. Uh, pretty pretty fun little finish here to the show. Whose idea was that? Uh, that that was Vince Russo, and yeah, that that was something you know he came up to tell that whole story with Vince McMahon. <laughs> Some of it got pretty fucking hokey with the bear and the teddy bear and all that other good shit, but it was it was a fun little deal, and that was you will see that scene repeated over and over in the same scenario often. Let's keep it moving here. Let's do the No Mercy pay-per-view. It's May 16th. It's in London, England. Uh, these were always fun. Austin retains the title in a three-way over The Undertaker and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. They go 15 minutes and only gets three stars. Anything of note here you want to mention uh, about this pay-per-view? No, you know, again, it, it got to be that the pay-per-views just became another raw in my opinion during some of this time there was there was so much going on and and so much just shit taking place that a lot of times we weren't we weren't announcing where previously we would announce damn near the whole card and everything would have a build-up to it and this was the first time we were getting to the last week and sometimes going into the pay-per-view itself where you had no idea what what was going to be taking place on the event itself. But you knew Steve was going to be involved and, and just so much shit thrown against the wall that after a while, you look, shit was drawing and, and people were interested no matter what we did. So to that, I can't really complain. I, it's like, okay, well shit, you're making money and, and things were good. But for my taste creatively, Oh, just sometimes things didn't matter. Let's keep it rolling here. Uh, the, the next big major show, um, and it's another pay-per-view. It's Over the Edge, May of 99. Uh, it's it's notable for the incident with Owen, but we're going to talk about Undertaker beating Austin for the title when Shane fast counts Austin. Uh, pretty crazy night. Obviously, nobody even really remembers or talks about Austin and Undertaker that night, and why would they? Um, the next night, of course, there's a tribute show to Owen. At the end of the show, Austin came out, toasted a beer to Owen. It's all pretty surreal, is it not? Yeah, and uh, for the yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you. I don't remember much of anything other than than Owen that night and and the night afterwards. So it's, it's, I remember the toast and that was something that Steve wanted to do. And it was, you know, it was, I thought it was a good thing. The June 7th Raw, Linda is going to announce that she stepped down as CEO and she's going to announce that Austin has been named the new CEO of the WWF. And the week after that, Austin crosses Vince's name off the parking spot and says he has his own spot now. And Austin is talking to workers outside who have wheelbarrows. So he enters Titan Towers and asks the girl where his office is. The receptionist up front, I mean. Uh, She answers the phone and is real polite. That irks him, and he teaches her how to do it. He does his his Austin routine, and um, uh, it's pretty fun. She answers the next call after this little demonstration. What the hell do you want? How great. Damn right, that's how we do it down in Texas. Dude, that's such a good segment. It's underrated. You know, this is one of the first times we really see a lot of Austin comedy. Later in the show, Austin goes to a meeting. He starts off um, 
saying gentlemen and i use that term loosely and uh there's cases of bush light there and uh he gives uh them a manual they need to read he fires uh some dude who's uh, the head of marketing research he promotes the mail clerk uh no one has an issue with the promotion i mean just super super fun he asks the guy if he wants to have a, a drinking contest if they pass out or puking or they're stumbling around they're fired and he makes some crack beers and gets going. Uh, he comes into the human resources room, introduces himself, uh, makes an assistant go get a beer, and pushes her on her way. I mean, really, some hilarious stuff here. What do you think of these uh, skits of him in the office? Absolutely, I, I loved it because it was, <laughs> you know, this was one where we could have fun and actually take it out on the people in the in the office that needed to really have it taken out on him. And some of that was ribbing on the square, if you will, especially with the merchandise guy that was, I think he was the first one fired in the conference room there. But um, that was a little ribbing on the square. That was, that was a lot of fun to do. And then taking all the manure and shit, and putting it in Vince's office, which was actually Vince's office. So that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get to King of the Ring 99. We've got Austin wrestling Vince and Shane in a ladder match for control of the WWF. Of course, Vince and Shane win this handicapped ladder match with 100% stock in the company on the line. Uh, they, they pin Steve or beat Steve in 17 minutes and 11 seconds. This is a crazy, crazy idea to make a match. And it feels like in hindsight, what the fuck? Who would pay for that? But dude, this this Steve Austin McMahon feud just got bigger and bigger. It felt like it could do no wrong. This match, it though, couldn't. well, the match itself was just sort of what uh-huh. it was. Um, two and a half stars. Yeah. Um, yeah, with the 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 briefcase going up and down and all that shit, it was terrible. You know, we get asked this all the time: who was moving the briefcase up? Well, originally it was supposed to be Shane McMahon. It it just, but you never revealed it, and it was it was one of those open ended stories that never got revealed. It's kind of like who who ran over Stone Cold. But Shane, but Shane's in the match. I know. That's what I'm saying. So when he was in the match, you just never never pivoted to somebody else doing it. No, we just won't know. We don't need to know who raised it. Why do you have to know? The original idea was you go back and you see Shane moving it every time Steve goes up. Steve comes back there to go, and it just was, it was a hodgepodge of illogicalness. Right. Illogicalness. Is that a word? No, but we'll go with it. Uh, the next night on Raw, Vince says that Austin would become a prelim wrestler and part of the ring crew, but Austin claims he, as CEO, um, had signed himself a WF title match, which will take place later in the show. And also a big contract. So later in the show, of course, Austin pins The Undertaker to regain the world title, uh, which is kind of interesting because the year prior at King of the Ring, he beat uh, Kane the night after the pay-per-view to win the title. So a year later, he beats The Undertaker to win the title. So that's kind of fun. It's only fair. Uh, On July 12th, the show opens with Austin doing an interview, and McMahon comes out in a wheelchair, and they bleep out Austin calling him an asshole. And they argue about a uh, contract signing. Undertaker comes out, hits Austin with the belt. He's juicing here. Then he takes the pin and fills it with Austin's blood. 
So McMahon signed the contract for the pay-per-view in Austin's own blood. It's pretty big-time shit right there, my man. Well, you know, a lot of times people would always make that reference of you're, you're signing that with your own blood, and that was Vince's idea. I'm going to stick it in his head and get the blood from his head. And Yeah, it makes sense. Sure. Uh, Steve Austin is going to retain the world title in a first blood match as a result. That, of course, took place at Fully Loaded in Buffalo on July 25th of 1999. They go uh, 15 and a half minutes. Pretty good brawl here. Uh, Austin's working his ass off. Vince is doing some commentary. And um, the match in the Observer got three and three-quarter stars. Undertaker at one point hit Shane McMahon. And there's a real wild finish with Austin and Undertaker, both soaked in blood, brawling to the back. And Austin came back, went to shake Vince's uh, hand, and gave him another stunner as the show goes off the air. Uh, pretty crazy here. Uh, what what do you think of this? Uh, in storyline... Austin's win is going to make Vince have to leave the WWF. This first blood match, I enjoyed a lot more than I did their SummerSlam match. But because it's just a sort of a throwaway pay-per-view, it doesn't feel as special. Well, you, you also had Taker as a heel here. Yeah. So, the, so that in and of itself makes it makes it a lot easier to work. And and again, you know, even looking at the the stipulations, I just think that. I'm old school that if stipulation doesn't mean anything, it's hard to get people back. And at the same time, the audience wasn't going anywhere. They, they just wanted, they didn't want McMahon to go away because if McMahon went away, then Steve didn't have anybody to, to, to beat up and foil. So it, it was another case of, okay, McMahon goes away. Then what? And I don't think anybody thought that was going to happen. And it's, it's, you need matches and you need outcomes and matches that you cannot pick. And you, you can't, you can't predict them. You can't pick them. And no matter which way it goes, you're, you're going to be at least excited about it. And I just felt some of these stipulations were, ah, that's not going to happen. Uh, Meltzer would report that Austin signed on to become a regular for five consecutive episodes for Nash Bridges. Uh, and around the same time, it makes the observer that Austin was supposed to wrestle a non-title match against Billy Gunn on the July 26th Raw in Cleveland. And that was um, the night after this first blood pay-per-view that we just talked about. And uh, he comes to TV and says there's no storyline reason why he would wrestle Billy Gunn in a cold match and nobody could give him a good enough storyline reason to change his mind, uh, especially the night after his big match with The Undertaker when Billy Gunn was being prepared for Rock and not himself. Meltzer would also write, quote, Jarrett is another story. Austin did nix a planned program with Jarrett, with Austin believing Jarrett isn't over enough to where it would make any sense for a guy in his position to work with him. The feeling within the company is that if Jarrett were to get over to the level the company wants him to be, that Austin might consider working with him at that point, although there are other mitigating factors. There's apparently personal animosity regarding Jarrett cutting a promo, criticizing Austin 316, and saying that that was taken seriously, and he apparently has told people he doesn't want to be the person who picks Jarrett up to a level he has not been able to yet obtain. Even more, Austin, who is together in his real life with Deborah, complained that he didn't want a wrestling angle to interfere with his real life and didn't want to be in a position 
of not being able to hang around in places with Deborah because the two would be feuding on television. So I had not really, I had heard the thing about him nixing a program with Jarrett, but it wasn't until my research here that I saw another wrinkle, the rationalization of him not wanting to be photographed with Deborah and sort of ruining kayfabe. Let's break these down one at a time. What do you remember about Austin refusing to do a match with Billy Gunn, saying there was no storyline reason to do so? Well, just that. Steve didn't want to work with Billy. didn't feel that coming off of what he had just come off of, there wasn't and, – and again, this is where you get into the trap. If every week you've got to top yourself and every week has to be better than the last and bigger than the last week, you go from this big, huge angle to, okay, we just want you to wrestle a cold match against Billy. What's the story? Well, we don't have one. Then don't put me on TV. Unless, unless I've got a story and unless I'm involved in something. And they work themselves into a situation where, well, fuck, how, how do we top it? Uh, you know, what's next? I think that Steve was almost at a point. I don't think he was overexposed, but possibly uh, it was close to it because he got to that point to where, what are we going to do next? And at first those ideas come at you, but after a couple of months, it's, it's not, what do we do next? It's fuck. What are we going to do now? And that's where they were. So it, it, And Vince had drilled that in everyone's mind, Vince McMahon, to the point of Steve is special, and we're not going to just put him in a match. It's not That's not going to happen. Steve, whatever he does, has got to be involved in something special. And if we're going to put him on TV, then it needs to be with the top guy, and it just can't be so that he's going on for TV's sake. That was the deal with Billy. There was no story and no reason to do it. Let's talk about Jarrett. Uh, he nixed a program allegedly overheat about the Austin 316 thing, some personal animosity, not feeling like the guy was over enough, whatever the case may be. And then there's the whole Deborah wrinkle. Uh, what do you remember about this? There was heat with Jarrett going back to when Steve worked in Tennessee, and there was professional heat there. Jeff being Jared Jarrett's son, um, payoffs and, and what have you. I don't think that there was any love loss there at hey, that time. Go ahead and tell everybody the story about Steve Austin opening his check from Jerry Jarrett when he was working yeah. in Memphis. And, and Jeff came by and said, you can stare at it all you want. It ain't going to make it any bigger. So I think that kind of set in Steve's craw. So he wasn't, but, but also... It's the same it's the same argument with Billy Gunn as far as working with Jeff at that time. Jeff, it was ice cold. There was no reason to do it. No one could give him a storyline reason to do it. Add into that the whole Deborah situation where it's like, I don't want to be working against my wife on TV. Not wasn't his wife, I think they were dating at the time. But I don't want to be working against her on TV when he was the most recognizable star that we had to be out in public. Everybody's going to see him. They're taking pictures everywhere. And his little private life and his little that he had to himself, he didn't want to jeopardize that. 
So he didn't want to do it for a variety of reasons. And it was, I think a lot of it, you know, was old, longstanding heat. The fact that Jeff wasn't in a position, there wasn't, there wasn't an issue. It was going to be ice cold. And it was, it was the same argument as Billy Gunn. And you want to keep going, then go to the Deborah deal. Didn't make sense. Let's get to SummerSlam 99. Goes down August 22nd. It's in Minneapolis. Mankind's going to win the world title in a three-way over Steve Austin and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, but there's another wrinkle in here because uh, of a little politician action you got involved here. Uh, the match is what it is, I guess. It only gets two and three-quarter stars. But there's two funny things that happened in this. Um, well, maybe maybe I have the wrong match. Is this the one where uh, Steve got caught in the ropes and Hunter had to unhook him? I believe so. Because it was like, I believe that was it. Uh, even if it's not, tell everybody the funny. I mean, because it's a funny story. Whether it's this match or it's another one, it's still funny. Well, no. Sometimes you get caught in the damn ropes. And it's... You hook yourself in the ropes, and sometimes it's just as easy as it is to hook yourself in the ropes to lean back and unhook yourself in the ropes. Well, Steven hooked himself in the ropes, and it just slipped down just enough that he couldn't get out. <laughs> He's sitting there flailing, like, what the fuck do I do now? And yeah, and Hunter had to come over and and work the ropes to get to get him out so we could continue on with the match. Um it's one of them kind of fucked up deals that happens sometimes. Andre actually used to get, sometimes would get one arm hooked in the ropes and couldn't fucking get out. Because he would sit I, this, would go this, back in the ropes. This may not be, now that I'm thinking about it, this may not be the, the match I'm thinking about. But the one I'm thinking about is where uh, Austin is hung upside down. It's like his knee brace is caught. And he's just dangling upside down. And they're trying to fucking shoot around it because they realize he's stuck. But now in storyline, his own opponent, who should be pummeling him and taking advantage of the fact that he's stuck, has to do him a solid and unhook No, goddamn, Conrad. His opponent wanted to get him unstuck from the rope so that he could win the match. Sure, sure. Not buying it. Okay. Work with me here. All right, I'll go with it. It's a symbol, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Talk to me about Jesse the Body Ventura. It's funny that we're talking about him now, because Jesse, after not doing anything wrestling-related for what feels like decades... Uh, popped up that last weekend at WrestleCon in New York City, and he was rocking the old Ventura jacket that we all grew up on from back in the day with the fringe and all that. So that was kind of a cool thing to see. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the importance of having Jesse involved here and, and why it was such a cool thing from the mainstream perspective. Well, Jesus, man, Jesse, you look at Steve Austin, as big as Steve Austin was in the WWE and mainstream. Jesse Ventura, wrestler turned politician. And now they're all, everyone looking at here, a quote, professional wrestler has won the governorship of Minnesota. And Jesse, the body Ventura was now the sitting governor in Minnesota. And I think that people were looking at the popularity of wrestling that had transcended pop culture and transcended politics and everything that, how could this happen? And Jesse, very controversial. Jesse had been the, the mayor of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, prior to that and had political aspirations. It was also the first time that we had worked with Jesse in a long time since the lawsuit. And Jesse had gone his own way, gone to WCW. So it was a coup 
to get a sitting governor to come in and be a part <laughs> of you know this major event. And the other thing that happened on that night was it was the first time that Brock Lesnar came to a professional wrestling match. And uh, Jerry Briscoe, Brock's coach, and Jerry Briscoe were best friends and brought Brock down. And the rest, as they say, is history. So a lot of things happened on that night. Well, one of the things, the rumor and innuendo behind the scenes is that Austin wanted this to be become a three-way because you know they want to get the belt off of him but allegedly he didn't want to drop it to hunter but he had no problem dropping it to foley do you remember hearing that i don't think that steve and or a lot of the agents at that time felt that hunter was ready for the championship yet and that wasn't that wasn't a steve call that was a vince call and that was a lot of the agents when they heard that just felt that He'll be ready someday, but he's not ready right now. Not with Steve. Did he become ready when he started uh, uh, dating Stephanie? No, he was ready before that. All right, just being a dickhead because it is funny yeah, when, you you when you say that. It's not you know, funny. A lot of the agents. It's not you know, funny, Conrad. Yeah. Connie, 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 you're not being fun. Ha ha. It ain't, it ain't ha ha. <laughs> By the way, how uncomfortable did it get? When uh, we were doing our live show with Jr. and I wanted to see you hold up the Jr. head and do your Jr. impression to the real Jr. and he said, "Oh, I'm glad you guys are having fun. It's real cute. Are y'all making fun of my face?" And it was like, oh, "No, why? Um, can we take a question from the crowd?" Like it never crossed my mind that we were making fun of Jr. Like we're just making fun of his, you know, cadence. Or I mean, we're we're having fun, but we're not picking on. An affliction? What the fuck? Well, here's the thing. I've been making fun of the way Jr. talks long before his affliction. <laughs> oh what? Well, I didn't south. I I do caricatures, Conrad. No, I'm aware. I mean, like, you know, you don't do them on the show anymore. You decided to give up and not be funny on here anymore. But you used to do them a lot, and they were funny. Well, goddamn, Connie, wait. You know, you, you like doing your little ha-ha. Everything, everything just can't be ha-ha, Connie. My favorite thing about the Snackle JR show. And sna Snagglepuss. Furner Snaves. How the fuck did he get that? I don't know, but what was funny to me is he immediately doubled down and was like, and what is Sassafras? I don't even know what that is, and I've never said it. And now we were like, well, that's kind of the idea. That's why it's funny. Huh. That, well, Michael Hayes neither said doot, 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 and Jr. was sitting up there uh, making it, had his own uh, had his own bar making Moscow mules, and I mean, you know, hey, look, everybody, okay, kind of like me, okay, you, you like an alcoholic beverage or two to unwind after work or celebrate with friends, but we've got to be honest here, once you hit the age 25, 30, you know, like, like you, Conrad, even moderate responsible drinking can leave you feeling less than 100% the next day. That's a fact. Like it. What? That's a fact. That, yes, it is. Well, I got an answer for it because like an acid for alcohol, cheers, neutralizes alcohol's negative effects so you can wake up feeling great. No more headache, nausea, or sluggishness the next day. And it's healthy for your liver, too. Now, to use cheers... You simply take two to four 
capsules after your last alcoholic beverage or before you go to bed. If you don't wake up feeling at least 50% better the next day, you'll get your money back guaranteed. Now, here's what happened to me. Cheers sent me my sample pack. And my wife says, what's this? I said, well, it's, it's Cheers. And it's, it's we're going to go out. We're going to have dinner tonight. And you know what? I'm going to have a couple glasses of wine. I usually don't do that because wine sometimes the next day, if I have two or three glasses of wine next day, I'm not altogether there. Well, I did everything they did. I woke up the next day and I was ready to go. Absolutely feeling great. And I got to say, this stuff actually works. And uh, if you want to check it out, visit cheershealth.com and enter our promo code Russell at checkout uh, to order and get 10% off your first order and a free gift. That's cheershealth.com, promo code Russell for 10% off and a free gift with your first order. Whatever you drink, whatever, okay, your drink of choice is, always remember to cheers. What was that promo that Austin used to do when he would just run through all the different alcoholic drinks? What did that sound like? God damn, kid, I don't have a fucking clue. You drink all the goddamn <laughs> shit you want. All right, let's keep it moving here. Austin was out of action for a little over a month after the SummerSlam. He's got a torn TCL. Uh, he referees a six-pack challenge at Unforgiven, which sees Triple H win the world title. Uh, so magically, when he wasn't ready in August, he was by September. So that's good. Uh, and then Austin stunners him after the match. On the October 11th Raw, Vince comes out to start the show and seems really happy over drawing such a large crowd in Atlanta. Uh, he introduces Austin, Austin saying asshole left and right, not being bleeped. And then uh, he tells Triple H to come out and challenge him. And Triple H comes to the ring, shoves down Jim Ross, who gets up and uh, hits him. And then Austin and Triple H brawl. And Austin told Ross to get in the ring and held Triple H for Ross to slug him. China runs down and spears Ross. And later in the show, this is real, Austin and JR wrestle Triple H and China. And China beats up JR the whole time. Uh, that And Austin and Triple H, of course, fight. And it ends when Austin throws Triple H in a room with a snake. I, I mean... A rattlesnake. Talk to me, though. You know, we've got, we've got JR get, being involved with some physicality. And we're throwing dudes in rooms with a snake. What the fuck is this? Are we out of idea? Oh, is, uh, is this Russo? Are we, know, JR, oh. JR kind of put out, uh, you know, put himself in that situation by the way that he would. Look, Jim lets you know that Stone Cold Steve Austin was his guy in the way that he announced everything. And he, he would let you know, Stone Cold, Stone Cold, Stone Cold. She pooted, she pooted, she pooted. Um, people, you know, people felt it. And, and, and there was favoritism there when Jim did that. So it was, a, it was a natural extension to put Jim into that physicality. People loved JR. He was a sympathetic character. He didn't belong in the ring. So when people would pick on him and Steve would have to come to his defense, it, it was it was natural. It was a way to get sympathy on Steve without having to beat Steve up. Um, the the snake shit was oh boy, that was a pain in the ass to shoot because the 
the snake was trained to strike. And the idea was when Steve got put in there, obviously we had protective glass and everything in between him and the snake. If you look closely, you can sure as fuck see it. Um, but it was the best, you know, that we could do at that point, and hopefully people didn't notice it as much. But the snake was supposed to strike as soon as Steve got into position where he was supposed to be. And that fucking snake didn't feel like working that day. And it was a working snake, but it just didn't feel like working that day. He just was like, yeah, fuck him. I got glass there. Take the glass down and I'll, I'll strike. But that was the drizzling shits because you had a non-working snake, didn't want to cooperate or fuck with us, and and it just absolutely sucked. That's because we went to snakes be us versus snakes are us. Well, let me say this. If your snake ain't working right, you need Ageless Male Max. They got a patent-pending formula with an ingredient that helps boost your total testosterone, promoting greater increases in muscle size, twice the reduction in body fat percentage, and an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym and in the bedroom. This is so fun. you got to do this. Try your first 30-day bottle for free. Just pay your shipping and handling when you text the word RAM. That's R-A-M, RAM. That's right. Like you think I mean. RAM. The 797979. That's R-A-M, the 797979. Message and data rates may apply. Uh, let's start wrapping it up here, man. We've got a No Mercy pay-per-view on October 17th in Cleveland. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is going to retain the WWF title, pinning Steve Austin in nearly 22 minutes of a no-holds-barred match. Helmsley comes out with a sledgehammer, and, um, well, you kind of have an idea of what's going to happen here. It's a pretty good match. It's four stars. There's tons of interference. Uh, everybody and their brother is involved. Meltzer would call it an excellent main event. Um... Triple oh my H, God, we agree on something. Triple H delivers a pedigree to Rock and then pins Austin to win the title. Chat me up. What did you think about um, you know this match in particular? Because just a couple months prior, you know there was rumor in innuendo that Austin wouldn't lose to wouldn't drop the belt to him. Now he, he's losing on pay per view here. Do you remember any pushback or any problems with him putting over Triple H at all? No, there there wasn't. And and again, even going back to the SummerSlam match, there hadn't been enough with Steve and Triple H to get to that point. And that was that was Steve's concern. You gotta have a story, you gotta have a reason, and you, you gotta get me there first for it to make sense. And also at that time there there were people and there were still people that didn't feel uh that Triple H was ready at that point. Vince's argument was, God damn, when we put him there, you know, he'll be ready. So Vince was like, nobody's going to be ready until they're in that position and you see if they, if it works or not. And that's, you know, we got to this point. So that, that's where we got to. And he had done it. Now the story meant more because Triple H had been involved with Steve. It wasn't cold. It had time to build up. So it was it was a lot more palatable at this point. Let's get to Survivor Series 99. Austin is scheduled here to be in a triple threat match with The Rock, challenging Triple H for the world title. But the match would never take place because they hit that motherfucker with a car. 
Uh, Meltzer would write, over the last few days, there's been far more talk about how the WWF handled the situation, trying to milk one last buy rate out of its name and a parody that WCW did the next night on Jim Ross, whether it was hilarious or tasteless, and obviously it was both, than on the potential of the career being in jeopardy of Austin. In fact, whatever discussion there is of Austin's injury is limited to the idea that the WWF is vulnerable for the ratings gap closing if Austin's career is in jeopardy. As far as Austin's future, if he can't wrestle, the belief is that the producers of Nash Bridges are still interested in doing a spin-off television series starring Steve Williams in the role of Jake Cage. The strong rumor spread that day that Austin wouldn't appear, but as many people felt it was some sort of a dispute with Vince McMahon or a refusal to do a job, rather than what it really was. From when the WBF received word about Austin, knowing full well that he wasn't going to be able to wrestle on Survivor Series, they had several opportunities to shoot angles to explain this fact. Granted, false advertising is an accepted part of this business, but that doesn't make it any more right than any other form of fraudulent advertising. It just goes on with such regularity, it has become accepted. When, so let's address that before we keep moving. When did you guys know, hey, Austin's hurt and he can't work? Well, as far as actually, it was really last minute. And you had Steve. Steve kept thinking, no, I'll get through this. I'll be able to to make it work. Um, and then by that time, you know, your Monday night had passed. You're getting into it. There really wasn't time, okay, to change anything, to shoot anything, to, to make it work. Whatever you were going to do, you had to do that day at the pay-per-view. So it was just a shitty, tough situation that everybody was put in and that you didn't have Steve. So you had to do something that day, make it work and, and move on, bite the bullet and go. Uh, not an ideal situation, but it was a last minute deal. And it was something that when you're getting into it, you're hoping, okay, this is going to work out. We'll, we'll get where we need to be. Uh, it didn't. And nine times out of ten, it can work out, and everybody's good. But unfortunately, sometimes shit just doesn't work out, and that's where we were. Well, let's uh, let's recap what Meltzer wrote of this uh, show. He says at this point, Austin was hit by a car. Actually, the stuntman was hit by a car. We were all emphatically told that Austin hadn't lost consciousness. They didn't want anyone to think for a second they were teasing Austin was dead. Only maimed bad enough that he'd have a storyline excuse for him not to wrestle. Um, talk to me a little bit about why this was done this way. Who thought of the idea? Uh, I, I believe that a, a friend of yours out in California actually came up with this idea. And there were other ideas that were suggested that, believe it or not, involved Taz. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what ideas were suggested here? God, uh, now you've completely lost me. What friend in California? Enlighten me. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. He was on stage with us with Will Sasso and told the whole story in L.A. Oh, Tommy Blanche. Oh, God. see, I'm thinking something else. God damn. I, uh, I'm thinking what friends I have. Tommy's no friend of mine. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Tommy's a listener, so Tommy, fuck you. You're not you're not a friend of Bruce's anymore. He's back with WWE, and he's big dogging you. Yeah, god damn it. No, there there was a lot of shit that that was recommended, but I think that it, at the end of the day, Vince didn't know. Nobody knew. 
it was so touch and go during this time with Steve's injury. You did not know. No, nobody knew for sure. He could be out for his career today and tomorrow. Three other doctors would say, no, you're fine to go. So, so much of the shit was day by day that at that last minute, fuck, hit him with a car. <laughs> we, don't know, and, and we don't know the extent of the injuries. That was the other thing. Always leave everything open. So you don't know the extent of the injuries, and and you just move on, and you, and you go forward. Um, that's, that's the reality of it. Not fucking knowing. And hoping. You're always trying to be optimistic, and you're always hoping that the other side is going to be the rainbow and the pot of gold. Is it true? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Is it true that one of the ideas was after the car hit him, you would see the car stop and it would pop the trunk and a bunch of orange balloons would come out? Brother. Oh, God. Just the idea. Listen, I, I was a huge Taz fan in ECW, as you know, and I would have loved the idea if there was going to be an Austin Taz feud. That would be great. But the idea that the badass that I grew up on in ECW is now letting people know it was me that hit him with the car, brother, with fucking orange balloons. That's <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't think that is a serious suggestion. Well, somebody pitched it, and it was hilarious. Somebody and, did pitch it. Yeah, it's silly. It, it, to use a Conrad Thompson term, it's fucking silly. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, I, I do wish it would have happened just because it would give us something else to talk about today. But we've covered it all for Stone Cold Steve Austin today from 1998-1999. Uh, one day in the future, we'll, we'll get to knock down 2000, 2001, keep it rolling for 02 and 03. Uh, we're not done with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Still four years of that story, not getting all the stuff he did outside of the ring. Uh, a career like nobody else, man, especially in the WWF. Um, you know, he didn't have the longest run, but he certainly had the biggest run. Uh, what do you think uh, history will remember Austin the most for when it comes to 98-99? Holy shit. I mean, obviously, beating Shawn Michaels for the championship. That's that's the biggest thing in the, the Mr. McMahon, the Austin Mr. McMahon rivalry that, that started there and to this day is probably the number one rivalry in the history of, of the WWE that people still go back to. Well, and we hope that you'll go back to us next week uh, when we bring you a brand new something to wrestle. Uh, we're going to kick it old school, and, and we're going to try to do some polls this month. If you haven't already, uh, go check us out at Pritchard Show on Twitter. We like to put them up uh, just in time for Raw. We'll, we'll crank them down uh, by the end of SmackDown. And so we want, we want you to go ahead and tell us what you want to hear. Uh, I can't promise that we'll have the winner of the poll this next week. That won't give us enough time to do the research. Uh, but whatever wins the poll will be coming your way soon. I do have some other plans uh, for later this year, though. We've already decided we're going to do a Chris Jericho episode. We're going to do a Mankind episode. We've got lots of fun stuff coming your way. Uh, we still haven't hit on King Kong Bundy, but we're going to do a King Kong Bundy at some point. And uh, we hope to do a lot more. And uh, hopefully... You've got a little more free time now that you're out of the woods and out of the craziness of WrestleMania. Uh, I guess we should, you know, I'm not going to say a lot, but, you know, when you were telling me that you had meetings that ended at 4 a.m. and then they convened again at 10 a.m., I mean, that's, that's pretty next level. And hopefully that's not the norm for a little bit. 
Uh, but if it is, uh, I guess we should let everybody know that the last show for the foreseeable future, because uh, I know you're, you're big on, on not saying never anymore, considering uh, what your new email address is. Maybe never say never. But the last show for the foreseeable future will be at StarCast. And uh, tickets are on sale now at StarCast.com. There's two R's in StarCast. And, of course, if you can't be there, you can actually stream it live on Fight. And we've never had that happen for a live show before. Uh, so if you haven't already, check it out at StarCastOnFight.com. And don't forget, Fight is F-I-T-E. And uh, if you do it before the 23rd, you're automatically entered in the High Roller Contest, which will cover your airfare from anywhere in the world for two. Uh, to come into Las Vegas, a hotel suite for four nights, every single meet and greet, platinum bands, VIP access to the after party, which we just announced as LA Guns, will be our entertainment there. And, uh, of course, two front row tickets to Double or Nothing. It's going to be the place to be this Memorial Day weekend is StarCast. So if you haven't already, uh, go check it out, StarCastOnFight.com. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. Shuck! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.